get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Scott looking, Matz throws a changeup, and Gomes is strikeout victim number one. Right at the belt, Morrell throws it. Back-to-back strikeouts looking, he thought it was high. And a swing and a miss, Matz gives up a hit and then strikes out the next three Cubs hitters. Swing and a miss, four straight strikeouts for Matz. That's why we signed him, um, for him to do what he's done his last couple outings. That, there's another gear for him, and uh, we're starting to see it. So. Hopefully we can continue to build off of what we've seen, and um, that, that's that's the version that we need to see every time. It's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest as Steven Matz puts together one heck of an outing for the St. Louis Cardinals and what's become a bit of a theme since the start of June. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, since June 1st, Steven Matz, and this includes his time in the bullpen, has thrown about 28 innings. He has a sub-3 ERA in that stretch. Opposing hitters are batting below 200 against him, and last night was more of the same. Five innings, three hits allowed, six strikeouts, which is maybe the most important part of this. Alex, I think some have written off Steven Matz, and I don't blame them for doing so. He was terrible to start out this season. But I mentioned yesterday some of the things that I need to see in order to buy back in for the Cardinals, not just for the rest of this season, but also the importance of them going into next year. One of those things was Steven Matz pitching his way into the Cardinals rotation in 2024. He has not gotten there yet, but this is what it needs to look like in order for him to become a significant part of their plans in 2024 and to be in the back end of that rotation yet again. Steven Matz last night looked like a guy that almost lost his job and said, bleep you, I'm not getting my job taken away from me again. And he's looked like that in his last three starts, but the difference for that start against the Cubs, BK, than what he did against the Nationals was Steven Matz's biggest issue in his time as a Cardinal is when things go bad, they go bad quick. Like the Washington Nationals game for me was a perfect example. He was pitching well for them, but that fourth inning, it started to go haywire, and then he gave up four total earned runs in that spot, and then they got him out of there before it really got bad. Last night, Nolan Gorman drops that pop-up at second base, and I'm thinking, "Uh oh, this is going to go this is going to go south quickly." And it didn't. So for Steven Matz to be able to get through there, five innings, 97 pitches, really not let it unravel for him. That to me tells me he's a little bit of a different pitcher. He's figured something out 
And that does give me optimism. If you can have this Steven match for a full season or at least three quarters of a season, because we know how pitching works for 2024. Yeah, and look, with Steven Matz, as you guys said, it's so important to figure out that you have him in the rotation for next season because if you don't, then you're really talking about a massive need that you're going to need in the offseason that I don't just don't see the Cardinals being able to fill. It's already tough for me to picture him filling three spots in the rotation. Imagine if it ended up being four. So it's I'm glad to see him kind of working things out now that he's got the changeup. And honestly, and I, I think when I look at Steven Matz and how he's been able to fix his problems from the first half of the season. Not only does it make me feel better about Steven Metz, but also makes me feel better about Dusty Blake and his ability to work with the pitching staff and the way that he's been able to help Steven Matz figure things out within his bullpen sessions, get that change up back to where he can use it and generate some swing and miss. And we knew Matz had swing and miss. I mean, he was one of the top swing and miss guys in the Cardinals rotation last year. Now, now it's actually coming to fruition now that he's been able to get back to having his change up and he's done a pretty good job of utilizing the sinker as well. Yeah, that changeup is what's changed everything for him, no pun intended. Opposing hitters were batting 320 against it prior to June 1st. They were slugging, and that was the biggest issue, 530 against his changeup. Since June 1st, they're batting just 235 against his changeup, and the slugging percentage has almost been cut in half. It's down to 280. So basically, they're not hitting for extra bases against his changeup at all anymore. He has found a way to make that pitch more effective, and the result is that swing and miss stuff that T-Bone was talking about. He has 19 strikeouts in his last three appearances for the Cardinals. The last time that he did that over any three-game stretch in his career was 2021. If you look more at the strikeout rate as opposed to total number of strikeouts, the last time that he had this high of a strikeout rate over any three-game stretch was five years ago in 2018. So we are watching the best version of Steven Matz right now, and we saw this 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This comes from the 636. Guys, so now a five and dive outing is a heck of an outing for a Cardinal starter. Let's not exaggerate things here. It was an okay outing, decent at best. Guys, this is what a good number five starter looks like. I know nobody wants to hear it, but in 2023, this is what your number five starter is expected to do. Give you five solid innings, give you a chance to win, and then you turn things over to the bullpen. The Cardinals are a better team when Steven Matz is doing this. We saw what it looked like when Matthew Liberatore was your number five starter. It You had no chance. He was getting lit up early on, and it put you so far behind that you had no opportunity to be able to come back. And it wore out your bullpen, and it had a trickle-down effect of your bullpen arms not being able to be there whenever you needed them the next couple of days. That is the value of having a number five starter like a Steven Matz. I know nobody wants to pay $11 million for that, but that's the going rate for these guys. So the Cardinals are getting what they signed him to be right now. It is too late. It should not have taken this long to get here, but this should give you a little bit more confidence that going into 2024, you have two of your five starters locked in or, you know, $30 million between Michaelis and Matt. BK, let's jump back in a time machine. You want to jump in with me, buddy? You want to jump in my DeLorean real quick and head back to the beginning of the season when the Cardinals' number five starter made the team out of camp? Remember what his name was? Jake Woodford? Oh. How many games do you think this season that that number five starter went more than five innings? Woody going five innings? Oh, I mean, that would be a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> he went... Three games he had five innings, and two of those three went five and a third. Oh, that's better than I thought. That's 
that's a five starter for you. And the people that are asking how we can praise a Steven Matz for this is because Steven Matz was so bad at the beginning of the season. They lost his job and you were paying him $11 million. I'm not going to pay a guy $11 million to be my bullpen arm. I need him to be a starting pitcher. So Steven Matz providing me three straight games of five or more innings and giving me a chance to win. Yeah, I'm on board with that because for $11 million, I'm going to have to probably spend 12, 13, $15 million to find somebody to fill Steven Matz's shoes if he doesn't pitch like this for next season. And guess what? That's $15 million that you're not going to spend on your top of the end of rotation. So I think that's a really good point, Alex. And it's one that I I kind of go to when I see something like from the 3-1-4. Guys, Mats is probably going to be traded at the deadline. That's going to be his value to the Cardinals. I could see him going to the Mets. What? I I disagree. I, I totally disagree. If you have a guy like this that can pitch five innings, give up one or two earned runs, and give you a little bit of swing and miss stuff, That guy is worth more to you at $11 million than he will be by trading him at the deadline to somebody else. You're going to have to replace this guy in the offseason if you decide to deal him. I'm not saying Steven Matz is like this untouchable piece. And if you get something of significance in return, sure, Steven Matz can be made available. But I don't think you're going to get anything of significance in return for Matz. So he has more value right now to the Cardinals pitching like this than he will in a trade to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And when I look at the names that offseason that signed around the amount of money that Steven Matt signed, uh, Anthony DiSclafani, $12 million. Alex Cobb, $10 million. James Paxton, $10 million. Yeah. Oh, Paxton. Oh, what a steal. Tyler Anderson, eight mil. Corey Kluber. Man, Cardinals mil. really got this wrong. <laughs> yeah, they kind of lost this now that I'm going down this path right now. Zach Greinke got 13, so that should make oh, you feel uh, better about yeah, it. There you go. Alex Wood got the 13. Should make you feel better about but, it. Yeah, yeah, the other thing I was going to say about this, too, is the reason Matt's would look worse. The reason Matt's could look worse on the deal he's on is because you have multiple number fives in your rotation. Like, as much as you want to rip on, oh, Matt's only went five. Let's not really sing praises to him. Man, Wado can't get through three. Yep. Woodford got through five when he was here. Like Libertor could barely get through one. Yeah, he yep. didn't get through one. So <laughs> I, when you look at those guys and you have them in the rotation, if you had Matt's Wayno who's on his way back and Woody slash Libby in a rotation, yeah, everybody's going to look bad because you got three number fives and you're not going to have success. But it's okay to have one guy like this that can pitch, go five innings, and basically serve the role. I mean, He's like serving the role of what Quintana was, except you don't want him to start game one of a playoff series for you. I just don't know what people want out of a a number five starter because you're not going to be able to get somebody who can provide you this for less than what Steven Matz is making. If you want better than that, you're giving him 15 or more million dollars. I think the the hard part is like Cardinals fans, and this is not a shot against you guys, I promise. Anybody in the listenership right now that is is thinking about this, it's because this is what you know. Cardinals fans think back to like the 2015 rotation and in that rotation it was hard to determine who was the number five starter you had John Lackey Michael Walker Carlos Martinez Lance Lynn and Jaime Garcia the worst starter in that rotation was Michael Walker with a 3.4 ERA so like comparing it to that yeah any of these guys are going to fall short of those expectations for your number five starter I mean heck you even go back to like Look at the 2011 rotation, right? Jake Westbrook was probably the de facto number five starter for that team. He finished the season with a 4-6 ERA with 180 innings pitched. Times have just changed, man. 
That is not the way teams really use their fifth starter anymore. They don't give you that many innings. And a 460 RA, though, that's probably what you're expecting. And that's where Steven Matz is at right now. Steven Matz this year has the exact same ERA as Westbrook had in 2011. So if that guy is your number five starter, you're doing all right. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but you're doing okay. Look around Major League Baseball right now, guys. Go look at the other rotations around the National League for the contenders. Many of them would sign up in a heartbeat to have Steven Matz as their number five starter. Again, this is not to suggest that the Cardinals do not have issues. They absolutely do. But this reminds me a lot of the conversation that we used to have about, like, Steven Piscotty when he was here. It wasn't a problem that Steven Piscotty was in the lineup. The problem was that he was asked to be your cleanup hitter. The problem wasn't that uh, you had a guy like Harrison Bader in your lineup every day. The problem was that you had to bat him sixth in the lineup every day. Now what we are seeing is it's a rotation issue, where it's not that Steven Matz is in the rotation. That's fine. The problem is that for much of the season, Steven Matz has been asked to be a number three starter when he is better served as a number five starter for this team. Yeah, and if you go into the offseason and settle for more Steven Matzes to fill out your rotation, then we will blast this team for it. But my expectation from what Mo painted the picture to us was Matz is the five. Michaelis is probably a two or a three. We fill the rotation out around it and we're going to spend money or assets to make sure we get the right talent to fill those spots. Steven Matz, big part of the Cardinals plans, both for this season and beyond. Uh, Just one quick thing to add in here from last night's game. Kyle Leahy cannot be a part of their plans. I mean, you, you could have gone to break. We didn't have to just yeah. throw him under the bus. Come on, man. Like, you don't need to be like Mo and like DFA guys on their birthday. Yeah, seriously. Read the now, that guy, if today is his birthday, I'm sorry. He needs to be DFA. Happy <laughs> birthday to you. BK thinks you're terrible. Man. It's time. It's time. This dude has appeared in three games. He has recorded a total of five outs. What? He's given up four hits, five walks, hit a batter last night, should have been yanked from the game right afterwards. I don't care what the rules state. And he's allowed four earned runs. Here's the... There, He's got to go. Here's He's the part, go, man. Here's the part that's wild to me. You sign a guy to be on your big league club, Ryan Tapera. He pitches two games, gives up two runs, but at least he pitches well enough for you. And then you DFA him so that Kyle Leahy can come in and give up like five Bring runs. him back. Yeah. Bring him back. I would rather have him than this Leahy no, we, character. We can bring him back. They brought Motter back. That's true like six times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can make it work. Somebody posted a picture of him with a suitcase in Memphis the other day, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, he's coming back to St. Louis, isn't he? <laughs> By the way, a little bit of news to pass along. This comes from our Cardinals insider for the athletic, Katie Wu. The Cardinals have officially traded Hennessy Cabrera to the Blue Jays. In exchange, they get minor league catching prospect Sammy Hernandez. Cabrera, if you missed it earlier this week, was DFA'd. They decided that he was a uh, he needed a fresh start, is the way that they phrased it. He is uh this this catching prospect, Sammy Hernandez, is 5'9, a buck 85. He's playing in A ball right now uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays system. He has an OPS of 500 in A ball. So he's got a lottery. Like, I think they acquired me. I think Tanner's bigger than him. Yeah. You got, you got a lottery ticket catching nine. prospect. I can't uh, I can't wait to see Hennessy Cabrera close games out for the Blue Jays when he gets the role that he deserves. He's due for a big postseason. Coming up He's next. Due for a postseason. Oh. Is Tyler O'Neill going to be playing on a postseason roster? Is this the guy that's going to come back to haunt the Cardinals? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
threat at the plate. He plays good defense, um, and he could be a threat on the bases. And today he did a really nice job of not expanding, took his walks, got the double down the line. Um, so, yeah, really good first day for him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Ali Marmol after last night's game talking about Tyler O'Neill and his return to the lineup. O'Neill finishes the game one for two with a double, two walks, and scored a run. Alex, we saw all the tools that we were expecting to see from Tyler O'Neill this year. The question has never really been about his skill set. It's been about whether or not he can stay healthy and if he's able to do so on a consistent basis. Well, last night it looked good. It's one game. Here's my question, though, because we are now less than two weeks away from the trade deadline, and I think everybody anticipates Tyler O'Neill being traded at the deadline, and I think most of us are okay with that. In fact, I would say the vast majority of our audience, like if we took a, a poll right now among our audience, do you want to see Tyler O'Neill traded? I would say it's like 80-20, yes, people do want to see him traded. I would add this, though. What you saw last night is why the Cardinals would hesitate. It's why they want to see what he looks like in the starting lineup over the next couple of weeks. Because for as much as people have got on my case about Dylan Carlson over the last week or so, about how he can come back to haunt you, this is the guy that projects to be similar in terms of haunting you the way that some people believe Adolis Garcia has, or Randy Arozarena has, or even some people will point to Randall Gritchick being a guy that the Cardinals should have hung on to. That is Tyler O'Neill because he's a guy that next year, if he hit 35 home runs, stole 20 bases, and finished in the top 10 in MVP voting for the Cleveland Guardians, for example, I don't think it should surprise anybody. It doesn't mean the Cardinals shouldn't trade him, but that is the type of player that they could be giving up on, Alex. Yeah, I, I, I just, as much as I watched that last night and thought to myself, like, man, this, this is the kind of guy that you're going to be looking for via trade or free agency if you move on from him, I'm not going to fall into that trap because last year is a perfect example of why I wouldn't want to try and run it back with Tyler O'Neill in hopes that I can regain that MVP form because, one, he's not injured, but last season he played 96 games, so injuries, but in those 96 games, he was not the same player. He had a two twenty eight batting average with a 700 OPS. Like Tyler O'Neill is too inconsistent for me to look at it and say, yeah, we need to take another shot at this one more year. If I'm going to do it with Dylan Carlson, fine, but you know what you're getting out of that. Tyler O'Neill feels like you're, you're reaching for MVP level in hopes that he gets there, but more than likely he's not going to be available to you for half of the season. And when he is available for you, he's not going to be providing you consistent offense that you're going to be needing from him. To me, I think you replace Tyler O'Neill with Wilson Contreras' bat. You're not getting the same gold glove defense, but Wilson Contreras' bat is at least more consistent than Tyler O'Neill. So, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and cling to hope that you don't want to lose an MVP because Randy Rosarena was that guy. Randy Rosarena has been available pretty much every single season for Tampa Bay, and Tyler O'Neill has not. Yeah, I I just can't can't imagine a scenario in which you decide to keep him because of what you just said. His... Inability to remain available is so crucial to being a major leaguer. And Mo said that when he was on with us back in June or July, I can't remember exactly when we were in July. June, probably. So I I can't remember. (laughs) It's been a long day. I can't can't see a scenario in which you decide to keep Tyler O'Neill, but I, I do think he could be the one that you look at and go, okay, there's a chance that he's the guy that ends up getting away from us because 
I there are some guys that can thrive when they get away from high pressure situations. And St. Louis is a high pressure situation because the market expects winning every single season. And we've seen the potential. When everything goes right for Tyler O'Neill, he's a guy that can play like an MVP caliber player. Problem is, is I that's too much of a blip on the radar right now than it is of something that is can be viewed as being a sustained or something that he can even get back to to decide and keep him this trade deadline. Yeah, somebody on the text line says, BK, you've talked a lot about how you think Dylan Carlson has gotten too many opportunities. Don't you feel like D- uh, Tyler O'Neill has gotten enough as well? I-, I do. I think both have gotten enough opportunities to show what they're worth here in St. Louis. And I think Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, some of the explanations as to why they aren't in the future plans are kind of similar. Carlson, for as much as people talk about how, like, he hasn't gotten enough opportunities because of his uh, the injuries. Like Some of that's on him, man. He's become somewhat of an injury-prone player. And since 2021, Tyler O'Neill actually has fewer plate appearances for the Cardinals than Dylan Carlson. Carlson, since the start of the 2021 season, has 1,300 plate appearances for the Cardinals. Tyler O'Neill has 1,000. And in those 1,000 plate appearances, Tyler O'Neill has objectively been better than Dylan Carlson. And I'm sure some will say, their retort will be, Tyler O'Neill only had one good season. True. A hundred percent. So has Dylan Carlson. And that's where I think the conversation is really difficult. Like if I'm if I'm John Mosaylock and I'm put in the shoes of you gotta get rid of two outfielders that will hopefully have value on the market and also will help you to alleviate this crunch and playing time in the outfield, those would be the two that I would choose. And if you were saying, hey, BK, which one of these guys comes back to haunt the Cardinals more next year? Who ends up having the better season for their new team? Tyler O'Neill would be the one that would scare me. He would be the one that I would say, I think there's a really decent chance that in a walk year where he's about to hit free agency, it's a platform season for him, I would not be surprised if Tyler O'Neill next year hits 30 bombs, steals 20 bases, ends up in an all-star game wherever he ends up going. And I'm still willing to take that risk because we've seen it. He's gotten the opportunity and it has run its course here in St. Louis. T-Bone, I hear the lineup is out. You ready? Oh, here we go, even Alex. Luca, even Luca's excited in the background. <laughs> Can you hear him? Yeah. Is he Sorry, peeing guys. everywhere? Probably. I think he's getting his diaper changed right See? now. See? He's just he's letting the world know that he's marking his territory, which is your house. <laughs> for the uh, for the listeners that might not be familiar, uh, I am currently on paternity leave. <laughs> I'm broadcasting from home this week. This is my final day from home. Don't worry. There will be no more dog barking or babies crying in the background starting on Monday. Uh, but this is that is what's going on in the background. Well, Baby um, Luca is officially two weeks old, and he is very upset about his cyber change. Well, on Monday, we'll still have babies crying in the background. It'll just be T-Bone on the mic. <laughs> there you go. Got him! <laughs> All right, right, Cardinals versus Cubs. Afternoon game today at Wrigley Field. It's on Apple TV. You have Justin Steele on the mound for the Chicago Cubs. Alex, this is a left-handed starter for the Cubs, so it's going to be a little bit of an adventure today trying to put this lineup together. You ready, buddy? I'm ready. I even did this a little differently because I have no idea what the batting order is like, but with a lefty, I went just defense. I wrote it down on a Post-it note, so let's see if I can formulate a lineup with the defensive players. All right, let's start off on the top. Here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> right away, huh? Who do you think leads off? I, 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 so I was listening to Ollie's pregame conversation with Mike Claiborne yesterday, and he talked about getting Dylan Carlson at bats against lefties. I yep. think this might be Carlson. I think it should be Dylan Carlson, and I say that as somebody that's probably lower on him than most. Show us Dylan Carlson. 
Hey, Carl. Yes. Good to like see it. you. Okay, so for and going, I bet you he's in center field just for yeah. for our notes. Yeah, because purposes. I. I the one that I didn't have written down on my defense was Newtbar, unless he's DHing, because I think yeah. you're going to play O'Neal and then obviously Walker, but that remains to be seen. Ollie loves his lefty righty, lefty righty, so this is Goldie, right? Yeah. I love gold. And he got a DH day yesterday, so, so my assumption first. would be uh, that he's at first base. Batting third. You're not playing Nolan Gorman after he dropped that ball yesterday, right? And not not not, not this high after against a lefty either. Yeah. Do you just go? Do you go Contreras here, or do you go Arenado? So, I think it's either Contreras or O'Neill. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. See, I wonder. I would go Walker. I would go Jordan Walker here. They don't. I don't understand. This is something we can get into after the game. I don't understand why they've been so hesitant to move up Jordan Walker in the lineup. I think he should be batting in your top five every day. Frankly, I would have Walker batting second, Goldie batting third. That's how I would I'd be, be formulating it. Um, okay, well let's go with uh, let's go with O'Neill there after his one for two day. What the H is wrong with you guys? Mm. Let's go, Car or uh, Contreras. Let's let's see if Contreras is your three hole hitter today. Sorry, guys. Okay, so it's Arenado. Our, Nolan Arenado. Can I say one more thing? Sure. Albert Pujols, I love you, man. Okay. So here's the question for you, Alex. Do you think he's at third base or do you think he's DHing today? Uh, I think he's at third base. I don't think. You I, think could, so. I don't think. I you think could, they're going to try to get Donovan in the lineup, and we know he can only DH right now. Yeah, and, and I don't think you can pull him out of the lineup because that defense has been so crucial for your team. So I, I think he's playing third base. So are you good with Contreras as your uh, cleanup hitter here? Yeah, yeah, we'll go Contreras there. Hey, Wilson! Wilson! That's Wilson! A, that's a lot of righties, Ollie. Where's the lefty at, huh? Well, you're going up against a lefty starter. I know, but he likes those lefty righties, lefty Who do you righties. think is batting fifth? This is O'Neal. This is Bro O'Neal. I think so, too. Show My Bro fingers hurt. Oh, well, now your back's going to hurt because you just pull landscaping duty. Oh, my God, that is the best drop ever that's for tremendous. a player. <laughs> Props to you, Marshy. Okay, so um, is this Walker? It or, should be, yeah. Or is this DeYoung? Walker. Walker? Okay, Walker. Walk it like I talk it, talk it. Walk it like I talk it. Walk it like I talk it. Walk it, walk it like I talk it. Yeah. Still slaps, BK. Can I give you an aside real quick? This is a good lineup. <laughs> <laughs> Considering it's a day game after a night game, yeah, this is a good lineup. But we haven't gotten to the bottom yet, and the bottom is my where it gets ugly. I'm guessing this is DeYoung. Yeah, this would be DeYoung. All right, so we got so we got the DH. I, I think this is Brendan Donovan. And this, well, I guess if it's a lefty. Yeah, I think this is Brendan Donovan. All right, DH. we'll go with you. You're wrong. Okay. I don't. I don't think they're gonna play Gorman. So are they going to DH Herrera? Oh, maybe Contreras is the DH and they're going to uh, use Herrera as their catcher today. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so Herrera at catcher. Sorry, guys. Okay. Maybe Kisner at catcher. Show us Kisner. So, and it took Wilson! under his wing. Okay. Wait, what? So, Kisner. Okay. So, Contreras is the DH. Kisner's catcher. He took Wilson catcher. under his wing. He took Wilson under oh. his wing. El Capitan. Right. So... Uh, this is for mean. Yeah, this for mean's for playing. Yeah. There's absolutely no choice here. 
they didn't have a good drop for for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, why would they? Well, he, he was run it, T-Bone. MIA. All right, leading off Dylan Carlson in center field, then Paul Goldschmidt at first, Nolan Arenado at third, Wills Contreras hitting cleanup as the DH, Tyler O'Neill in left, then Jordan Walker in right, batting seventh, Paul DeYoung at short, eighth, Andrew Kisner catching, and batting ninth, everybody's favorite, Jose Fermin at second base. Not a bad lineup, minus the uh, bottom two, but can't, you, can't, you can't make it perfect every day, you know? It's a good lineup. I, I would rather see... I, I think they are making one mistake with this lineup, Alex. I think Yvonne Herrera should be the one that's behind the plate today. I just... I would rather see Herrera get as many opportunities as possible. We know exactly what Andrew Kisner is. There is nothing new that I can learn about Andrew Kisner. So give me the opportunity to find out more about Yvonne Herrera while they have the opportunity to do so. Let me give you my tinfoil. The short sample size of Yvonne Herrera, the Cardinals have basically said, we know what we got and he's better than Andrew Kisner, so let's give a couple more reps to Andrew Kisner and then the rest of the season it's going to be Herrera. I like that tinfoil. I kind of like that tinfoil, but I agree with BK. I want to see more of Herrera because I know what Andrew Kisner is, and I think everybody across baseball knows what Andrew Kisner is. I mean, they're going ever they're doing a different catcher every day, it seems like. It's Herrera, Contreras, Kisner, Herrera, Contreras, Kisner. That's, yeah. that's not a fun rotation. For who? Well, for us. For oh. us. Oh, I was going to say, I think Herrera and Kisner are having fun. I don't know about Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. At, at least he's in the lineup. I, yeah, I think well. this is... I think it is entirely possible that this is going to be the future of Wilson Contreras. And you know what? If his offense is going to play like this, it's still unfortunate because like it, this does ruin a lot. But every time you yeah. want to get some days off for Goldschmidt or Arenado, then you put Contreras behind the plate. But there's nothing wrong with it if the dude's going to smash 1,200 OPS all season long, which you won't. But, I mean, I'm okay with it because it helps your offense. Yeah, net, net. In the last seven games. Oh. Contreras has started two games behind the plate. Herrera has started three games behind the plate. And Kisner has started two games behind yeah. the plate. And I think after the trade deadline, it's probably going to be a majority of Herrera and then a little of, of Contreras. And then Kisner's just going to be there as support. Right now, it's kind of messed up because of the um, the situation with Brendan Donovan not being able to, to play in the outfield. But whenever he's back, I, having that DH spot for Wilson Contreras, it, it does make a lot of sense, man. You don't want to be paying that guy $18 million, but uh, this is this is the bed that they've dug for themselves. Yep. Coming up next, Vladimir Tarasenko was supposed to be a marquee free agent this offseason. He has still not signed with the team. What happened here? We'll ask Alex Ferrario that question next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Honestly, the music is starting to stop here and there's not a lot of chairs left. And I think the biggest misstep that Vladimir Tarasenko and his his representatives have made is that they let the pool of money dwindle away. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, if the offer was $4 million on day one of free agency, I think I would have considered it. Is he still sitting there with his heels dug in going, I'm a $6 million player, I'm a $7 million player, do you know who I am? Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, we do. Actually, you've had one 80-point season in your career, and you've been hurt for a lot of the last three, four years. Right. And you've been disgruntled, and you went public with it. You've fired your agent three times, two times, sorry. You have three agents now total. I just think it has been a big misstep. That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane talking about Vladimir Tarasenko's free agency. And Alex, it's been a wild ride for Vladimir Tarasenko over the last few years, to say the least. He remains unsigned. And at this point in the offseason, man, there are not a whole lot of teams that have a whole heck of a lot of money to be able to bring in a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko. In fact, here are the contenders that have more than $4 million, which is not a ton, but more than $4 million in cap space right now. Minnesota Wild, Boston Bruins, Edmonton Oilers, Detroit Red Wings, Seattle. That's pretty much it. And some of those teams still have some work to do in terms of restricted free agents or guys that they don't have um, a decision on one way or the other, like Boston, for example. Is Bergeron coming back? What are they going to do there? There's still things that have to be um, put into place with their own guys. And then they can start talking about maybe adding a Vladimir Tarasenko. Alex, what happened here? Vladdy put together a season last year with 18 goals, 50 points, and was on a Rangers team that thought that they were going to be competing by the end of the season. Why do you think he's still on the open market? Uh, I, I think Jamie nailed most of it to where Vladdy just assumed he was worth more than what he actually was on a flat cap NHL market. And he changed agencies when he wasn't getting the calls and the price that he thought he was supposed to get. But the problem was he changed agencies on July 5th. And now you've got to reset the market in terms of understand who your agent is. And then you got to start making calls with the new agency and your new prices. And guess what? That's four days past the opening of free agency when everybody is, it's the wild, wild west out there. Everybody's signing guys before other teams can get a hold of them. So he was left when the music stopped. But I also think some of this is just the play of Vladimir Tarasenko. Vladdy had an unbelievable season in the 2021-2022 season. We all know that. That was his first 80-point season. But then... And after that, last year, he underperformed with the Blues, goes to New York, plays well, doesn't really have the greatest postseason run, and then goes to the market thinking he's going to get four, five, six million dollars. That's just not who he is. This isn't uncommon. I mean, remember last year, guys, Nazem Kadri was still waiting in August before somebody finally was willing to meet his number, which was the Calgary Flames. I don't know if somebody's going to meet the number of Vladimir Tarasenko, but to your point, BK, there's not a lot of contenders out there that want him. He's probably going to either have to settle for going to a non-contender and getting the money you think you're worth or going to a contender and getting less to try and reset the market for next year. Vladdy more than likely is going to have to do a one-year contract for somewhere between three to $5 million and reset the market once again. The issue with that is you're going to be 32 years old, and as a goal scorer who's had injury issue issues, that's not going to be an easy thing to try and accomplish. So uh, Vladdy is in a very uncomfortable situation if you're him, um, I still think he's going to sign somewhere. I still think he's going to go and probably be a contributing player, but I don't know if he's ever going to be the six or $7 million player that he thinks oh, he no. is. Yeah, no, I, I think he's going to have to settle for the Mike Hoffman deal. That's that what he took I was here thinking in St. Louis. Yeah. 
Hoffman got a one-year deal worth $4 million, and honestly, man, that might be rich for Vladimir Tarasenko at this point. Because I went through, we know Vladdy is very picky. He does not want to just go to any team. Like, I, I would be shocked if Vladimir Tarasenko ends up on, like, Anaheim, for example. I, yeah. just, I, I don't think that's something he's going to be interested in doing. And so, like, you look at some of the contenders that I mentioned, Minnesota still has to um, sign Philip Gustafsson to his restricted free agency tender or go to arbitration with him. Boston has Trent Frederick still to be paid, and we'll see what happens with their center stuff, too. Seattle has Vince Dunn still remaining to be paid. And that leaves, like, two guys or two teams that are contenders that have any sort of space whatsoever, and that's Edmonton and Detroit, I don't know that Vladimir Tarasenko wants to live in Edmonton or Detroit. I would say probably the overwhelming likelihood is he doesn't want to play for either of those two teams. So I, I don't know where he ends up going. If I had to make one prediction, Alex, I think Vladimir Tarasenko ends up signing with the Chicago Blackhawks. I think they end up saying, you know what? We've got all this money sitting here. We don't have a good team. We think we can flip Vladdy at the trade deadline. We're going to go ahead and bring him in. He'll score 20 goals for us. And we are going to sign him to a one-year deal worth $4 million because this is the type of asset that we believe other teams will be interested in come trade deadline time. I think Vladdy ends up signing in Chicago. Yeah, I, I, if I put myself in Vladdy's shoes, and I understand what you're saying of not wanting to go somewhere like these places, but I also need to look at this as, okay, but how am I going to reset my market best? And I'm going to have to go to a team that's going to raise my stock. So if I'm him, Edmonton, I might be calling them saying, hey, sign me. I'll sign for cheap. Sign me. One-year deal, please, because that's where you go and try and have some type of uh, rejuvenation with your career. Uh, yeah. Buffalo is another one that if I'm him, I don't want to live in Buffalo, but guess what? Buffalo is an up-and-coming team, and if I go play in their top six, I could be a 35-40 goal scorer again because of the offense that they create. Chicago probably is the most likely destination because they're doing this, but to me, if it's Chicago – it's probably because Vladdy doesn't want to sign there because Chicago, my opinion has probably already called him and said, Hey, we'll sign you. Look at all the guys. I mean, they gave Corey Perry like $4 million to come play for them. Right. So that seems more like a last ditch effort in August. If nobody is signing Vladimir Tarasenko and they say, fine, we'll just go to Chicago. But I, I mean, Minnesota, Boston, I, I would put Ottawa in this conversation, Edmonton, Buffalo, and even the Nashville Predators. Those are the teams that still have a shot at getting Vladdy. The issue is going to be, is Vladdy going to want to go there? But again, come late August, you're going to have to suck it up and go somewhere on a one-year cheap deal. Otherwise, you might not be playing in the NHL beyond this season. If I'm making the devil's advocate for like why Chicago should not sign Vladimir Tarasenko argument, it's this. Don't know that he's a great teammate. I would, yeah. I, I'm not. If you look at the guys that Chicago signed, Corey They're Perry, all great teammates. Nick yep. Felino, those are all locker room guys to work with yep. young players. I'm not sure Vladimir Tarasenko, and that's why Nashville might not sign him either. Exactly. And, and I, I think, like, I, I would just say I, I would be shocked if Nashville signs him. Shocked. Because the number one thing that Barry Tratz has talked about since taking over, we got to make sure that our culture is in the right place. Yep. They, they decided to move on from their center, who was supposed to be the franchise guy because they didn't think he was good in the dressing room. Full stop. That was it. That was the entire reason. He was putting up points. He was putting up goals. He's just not producing in the – or he's not He's not the guy, the, the personality that they wanted in their dressing room uh, in Duchesne. 
I think the same thing will be true for Vladimir Tarasenko. So I think that's limiting his market as well. These young teams that have the cap space, they don't want to sign a player like Vladimir Tarasenko because they don't know how he's going to react to the losing that they're going to be doing this year. And that's the problem with you voicing your frustrations publicly like you did in St. Louis, because now you're crossing off a bunch of teams that have the money to give to you that don't want you there because Anaheim's another one. Anaheim's not going to want to bring you into a culture of guys that are trying to figure out what winning feels like and a winning culture feels like. So now you're stuck in this in between of, do I go somewhere for cheap because the teams that are willing to give me a lot of money don't want to give it to me. It's a really tough spot to be in for Vladimir Tarasenko, which again, I don't know if I would have changed my agent on July 5th. If I would have changed an agency, it would have been before the start of free agency because there's nothing else there for you now. Man, the problem too, like you look at Edmonton, I don't know where he fits into that conversation either. Well, they got a lot of guys that don't make sense in that locker room, like Evander Kane being one of them. Oh, I'm not even talking about locker room wise. Like, where's he fit into their lineup? I mean, you make a you spot know? for Vladdy. The problem is, like, do you? I mean, yeah. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Evander Kane. That's my top line. Nugent Hopkins, Zach Hyman. I think Vladimir Tarasenko is better than everybody else to be on a second line with them. Con- Connor Brown. I-, I, I think Connor Brown's a third line player. Okay. I don't know if Vladimir Tarasenko is more than a third-line player at this point. Oh, I'm, I'm with you, but if I'm Vladdy, I want to go somewhere that uh, that has playmakers who can get the best out of me, and that's if I'm and, going there, I'm going to either play with McDavid or Nugent Hopkins. I think that's what he thinks. I don't think that's what would actually happen. Yep. And I think that is where the disconnect exists right now, and I think that is where Jamie hit, it, hit the nail on the head. He views him ha- as one thing. Teams view him as something else right now, and that disconnect... It, 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 it exemplifies itself in money and an expected role. Being on the top power play unit will not be guaranteed for Vladimir Tarasenko I. on his e. next Mike team. Hoffman. Uh, being a, a guy that is getting top six minutes, playing 16-plus minutes a night, not guaranteed any longer for Vladdy at this point in his career. Somebody on the text line asked, do you guys think that one day Vladdy will look back and regret the way that he treated his end of his career here in St. Louis, finding out that the grass was not indeed greener on the other side? I think that there's absolutely some validity to that. I understand why, in some regards, Vladdy approached it the way that he did with the medical side of things, but... When you look back on things, I think Vladdy had it pretty good here in St. Louis because nobody appreciated and endorsed him the way that Doug Armstrong did. Yep. He ain't going to find that anywhere else. Yep. Nobody else has the same amount of time and belief invested in Vladimir Tarasenko the way that Army did. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to look back on it and maybe not be regretful of it, but wish that he treated things a little bit differently. Yeah, if you're going to regret anything, you're going to regret speaking publicly about your frustrations with the team because that just Agreed. does not work out well for you when you become a free agent. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ask us anything coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, Jeff Jones has been doing the Lord's work in the Cardinals clubhouse today asking guys what would they do first? Will they see Barbie 
or Oppenheimer? Guys, some of the answers to these are amazing. So I'll go ahead and read these again. This is from Jeff Jones on Twitter, uh, covers the Cardinals for the Belleville News Democrat. Both Adam Wainwright and Steven Matt suggested that the correct order was to see Oppenheimer first and then skip Barbie. Lars Nupar stated that um, he wanted to see Barbie because of Margot Robbie. Amen to that. <laughs> which is tremendous. It's the only reason um, I told my wife I'd go see it with her. Paul DeYoung said, see Barbie second to end with the good vibes. And then Andre Palante was the final one who was asked about this. He said, save your money, skip both and watch all three Lord of the Rings movies instead. Alex, how would you approach this? Uh, I would go see... I think I would go see Barbie first to get the bad movie out of the way and then go enjoy myself and watch Oppenheimer. I would just skip Barbie and watch Oppenheimer. Uh, well, you don't have a significant other who wants to go see Barbie like I do. So I got to see it no matter what. So I'll go, I'll, I'll take the blow first see, I would go, and then I'll go enjoy the good one. I like, I don't remember who said it, but I like the idea of, oh, Stratton said, Chris Stratton said he would probably go see Oppenheimer first and or Barbie first and then Oppenheimer second so his wife could sleep through that. You oh. should just do it in reverse. You oh. go see Oppenheimer first, and then you go see, or no, you go see Barbie first, and then you go, yeah, you should do what I don't, Stratton's doing. I don't allow people to sleep in movies that go with me. Oh, you because should. I feel like a, Alex would be the one that sleeps in movies. No, yes. I don't. I tell you, I have only walked out of one movie in my entire life, and I've never fallen asleep in a movie, because if I'm going to pay that much money to go, I'm going to watch all of it. I remember seeing the movie Sausage Party, that terrible yeah. cartoon movie. I didn't want to, but I had to sit there and watch that whole stupid movie because I paid the money for it. And then I just complained about it afterwards. I uh, I think I would go Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. I actually am interested in seeing Barbie. Like, if they're going to make this movie, it's got to be at least somewhat redeeming. Otherwise, the movie doesn't get made because they put so much money into this thing. Like it, it's gotta be at least somewhat compelling. So I'll go see it. This they is make BK, terrible movies all the time. This is BK trying to justify seeing it yeah. when somebody runs into him at the movies by himself in his Barbie no. T-shirt. You guys know I have no shame. Is that Zero BK? shame is that whatsoever. BK? BK, are you wearing a Barbie T-shirt? No, 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 no. I, I've got no wife. issues watching it whatsoever, oh, and I will absolutely be seeing it in theaters at some point. Okay. I'm seeing it in theaters. I, I, just, I, I just don't get your now your thought process of oh well it can't be a bad movie because they decided to make it or, what they <laughs> make bad movies all the time. No, it's not that I. It's not that it can't be a bad movie, but I, I think people writing it off immediately are are doing so without actually seeing like what mm, the movie well, is going to be about. You, you so tell I'll me go see you, it. You tell me what you think after seeing it this weekend. Uh, I will. I will let you know. Uh, all right. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Let's BK? get to ask us anything. Uh, Kara, Kara's in the bathroom. Why, wait, why you got the end seat and someone's sitting to your right? Kara's buying me a my, my I mean a beer. Beer. From the 314. Guys, is there any specific sport that you hope that your kids play or one that you hope your kids avoid? Uh, not so much avoid. Um, play... I my kids do at least attempt to play golf. I, that's the one sport that I wish I would have been interested in when I was younger because I love it so much now. Um, anything else is pretty much up in the air for them, whatever they want to do. Like I know my oldest Adelaide, she's going to be probably a soccer player because that kid kicks little balls at the house further than I can kick one. So, um, but golf would be the one that I'd like them to play and I'm going to try and encourage them to play. D-Bone? 
I would say I would have no sport that I would not want them to play, but I would definitely, if there was one sport I had to pick like I really want them to play, it would be baseball, just because I want to, I would have want to coach a baseball team. So, so baseball is a tough one, T Bone, because I would love to have a, like, if Luca ends up being great at baseball, like, I'm more than happy. Whatever he enjoys is honestly the answer. Like, just play whatever you like. It's expensive, dude. For kids to play baseball at, like, a high level once they get to a certain age, all of first it of all, is. the travel is insane. And second of all, the expenses to be on a legit club team are just absurd. So, like, honestly, the cheapest sport to play as a kid is football because they provide the equipment and there's not really travel teams for the most part for football. So that would be one that obviously I would be interested in. But um, the expense is something that you kind of have to take into account when you look at some of these sports that uh, kids are playing nowadays. Uh, all right, from the 314, guys, why don't you take the, your show on the road during the summer, especially on Fridays? Hey, man, if you want to... Uh, if you want to promote our show, if you want to pay for us to be somewhere, we're more than happy to uh, listen to it. Go ahead and send us an email. And we've got I've, a curmudgeon in Alex that yes, doesn't like to travel. I was say, no, I like to travel. There's just only so many road trips I can do with BK and T-Bone, and I've already hit my max for the year 2023. Yeah, see, curmudgeon. I'm going to have to cut that back a little bit. 2024, only one, guys. I, I think that we should do, like, one of these summers here in the not-too-distant future. I think we should do, like, a a travel thing where we try to find the best like tacos in St. Louis or uh, the best toasted wraps in St. Louis. That's something that I maybe the that best be Barbie dolls in do. St. Louis. When do that BK? I don't, I, I, I think that your hate for this movie is like a no, little over. the. There's top. no hate for this movie. I, I'm going to see it. I can't hate the movie. I just, I'm just curious. Are you going to bring your Malibu Barbie dolls to see it? <laughs> no. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final thing here. Guys, do you think that we've been writing off Matthew Liberator, Liberator too quickly? He's being labeled as a ceiling, as a four or a five starter, but he's only 23 years old. I forgot who said it uh, The about the amount of innings for pitchers before like you start to really see who they are at the major league level. Maybe it was BT. Um, but look, the one part for Matthew Libertor is he hasn't gotten a lot of innings. So I, I can't sit here and judge him. The problem is the innings that you are getting, you're not good in them. So it could just be a Cardinals development issue with the young pitcher. And he just hasn't really gotten to that point yet. So I'm not so far as to say I'm done with Matthew Libertor, but I'm starting to believe more and more that he's not a top three in a rotation pitcher he might just be a four or five at best he could be like a steven matz yeah I, i'm not giving up on him yet but it was kind of discouraging not to see much change this this season for him and what i mean by that was the same mistakes that hurt him in 22 hurt him here in 23 so and, and i think your question on is it a development thing maybe but i thought mo had a pretty damning comment about libertor when he talked to the media about the trade deadline I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he said part of that development's not on us. It's also on the player, which made me think that some of this is part of a Matthew Libertor kind of stubbornness to him. Um, so I'm not giving up on him yet, but I mean, like, I, I think at best he maxes out in, like, the role that Steven Matz is in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when we first talked with Kyle Reese about Matthew Libertor a couple of years ago, he said, if you could sign up for Matthew Libertor to have Steven Matz's career, you should do so because that's a really good outcome for Matthew Libertor. I think at this point, the hope is that Libby just becomes a starter. I think the overwhelming likelihood 
is that he ends up being a reliever at the major league level. And that's super disappointing given the fact that you gave up Randy Rosarena for him. But yeah, I, I am ready, despite his age, to write him off as anything more than a middle of the rotation starter. I, I think he's a four or a five at best, and I think the likelihood is he's probably going to eventually be a bullpen. Someone said, so if Seattle wants Libertor in a package for Gilbert, you're accepting that? Hell yes. Yes, of course. They, <laughs> Hell but yes. they're not going to. That's not, they would want significantly more than that. Significantly more. He would be a throw-in in a deal like that. Yeah. Coming up next, Adam Wainwright seems to be very excited about the way that his rehab process has gone. What do you do with him if this team continues to win? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to the left field corner. That's going to one-hop off the Ivy. It's one nothing St. Louis. Contreras on his way to second. He's in safe for the double. Swing, fly ball, well hit, left. That ball's going, going, gone! Welcome to Wrigley Field, Jordan Walker. It's 3 nothing St. Louis. This one driven toward right. Suzuki going back toward the well. That ball is into the basket. DeYoung hits a two-run homer the other way. Popped up. Burleson at the first base bag. Foul ground has it. And that'll take care of business. The Cardinals have beaten the Cubs 7-2, your final score. That's what it sounded like on Bally Sports last night as the Cardinals pick up yet another victory alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kiley. Guys, the Cardinals are coming in some regards they are working their way up the national league central standings they're now a game and a half back of the chicago cubs they've got seven more games against them over the course of the next week and a half they are seven and a half games back of the reds and 10 games back of the brewers alex we're all on the same page we talked about this a lot yesterday we don't have to rehash it none of us really anticipate them changing their course as we get closer to the trade deadline because of this recent winning stretch but it does make things a little bit more interesting, and you want to see them put their best foot forward at least over the next two weeks prior to the deadline. And the backdrop to all of this is Adam Wainwright trying to make his way back to the big leagues. He is expected this weekend to throw a sim game down in Arizona. Uh, Tommy Edmond is going to be down there with him as well. He's going to be taking live at-bats against him. Alex, when you look at the way that this team is going right now, and what Adam Wainwright was prior to going on the injured list. How do you square these two things together? What do you do with Wayno if and when he's ready to return? Man, this is going to be the toughest decision the Cardinals are going to make the rest of the season because I don't know. I think you have to bring him back no matter what when he's ready because the whole reason you gave him the amount of money was to be a part of this roster and to chase 200 wins. So, for that sense in itself, you're going to have to run it back. And if this team continues to win and he continues to struggle, I would imagine you're going to do the same thing to him that you did to Steven Matz, where you say, look, we just can't keep running you out there, so we're going to have to make you a bullpen arm. And if he's not willing to be a bullpen arm, then he's just going to have to be a cheerleader on the bench throughout the rest of the season. Because if you're going to try and compete still, he can't be a part of the rotation if he's that same guy. I like to believe, though, that Wayno's figured something out in the injury helped him somewhat and at least he can provide you three to four innings of serviceable 
innings, and then you could start piggybacking it and throwing out Dakota Hudson or throwing out some of these other arms. But, man, if it goes south for Adam Wainwright and you're still believing you can contend, then you're going to have to make the same decision you did with Steven Matson, shift him to the bullpen. Yeah, I, I really don't know what you do if you continue winning and you are actually competing to get into the playoff picture. I, I think you have to put him in the bullpen, but I just don't know like what his role truly is in the pin because we've already got a bunch of guys out there in the pin that are quote-unquote innings eaters or long relievers like Zach Thompson's in that role right now. I guess Hudson's technically not. I, I just I guess I view him as a bullpen arm still technically. Um, so I, I just don't know how they go about it, and I just don't see him working out of the pen. I, I think this... This, in theory, it sounds like an issue, but I, I think the way it gets resolved is once you sell at the deadline. In theory, that team, what, once the Cardinals sell off some of their top pieces, it's hard to envision them to continue winning. And if that's the case, then I think you just plug Adam Wainwright in the rotation and go for the chase to 200. So unless, I think that's the way it they, goes. Unless, of course, they get pitching in return. Because if they get pitching in return, that's big league ready. You're plugging those guys into the slots that you're trading away. Yeah, but I'm assuming I'm trading away Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery. And I'm assuming right? you're only getting one arm. That's I guess that's my assumption. Maybe I'm in a false assumption there. That you mean could impact the major league roster? Yeah, like yeah. I think they're going to get like, I don't know, like six, seven arms, something along those lines. But I think there's only going to be yeah. one that's truly major league ready that has control for this season for this season. Yeah. And then I think there's potentially one other that's like a fringe guy, kind of like what Hudson Thompson are. And then you've got the one open slot of where Jack's at. So yeah. I, I would assume that like, like right now they only have really four starters and Hudson's technically that fifth guy right now. I, I expect that there's still going to be one spot open to where post deadline after they sell off pieces and, and look, maybe they continue to win once they sell off pieces. I, I kind of doubt that, but Maybe they do. You still have one open spot, and I think that's just where you insert Adam Wainwright. But it is tough if you if you truly think you can compete in the NL Central even after selling off pieces. I I, I guess he moves to the bullpen, but like I, I just don't see the real role in having Wayno in that pit. It's going to take a lot for them to do that, though, because I truly believe they they are looking at this as we got to get him his two hundred wins. I think the best way to do that is putting him in the bullpen, though. I I don't know that he's going to get through five quality innings where he's leading after five as a starter. Like, I, I just, I don't see it. I, I actually think, like, who gives you a better chance to win right now? Dakota Hudson or, as a starter, Dakota Hudson or Adam Wainwright? From what we've seen this season, it's Hudson. Dakota all we Hudson. Can do. That's all we can do is based, go based on what we've seen so far. But I'm still going to give Wayno the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to give him Why? a couple of start Because you brought him back for $17.5 million to chase 200. And I think his best chance to do so is to piggyback Dakota Hudson. I think that's like, probably I, fair. I would put Dakota Hudson out there, give him three or four innings, and then you give Wayno two innings to piggyback him, and you hope that Wayno's the one that ends up getting that win that day. I, I think that's his best chance to be able to get to 200 this year because, man, and I, I hope that I'm not being unfair to Wayno, but when we saw him go on the injured list, it was three straight games of some of the worst baseball that I've ever seen pitched in a Cardinals uniform. And I'm not saying that as a shot against Wayno. He just didn't have it, dude. There was nothing there. He couldn't get guys out. We've done all of the numbers. Like, based on what he has done to start out this season, again, just based on the numbers is not opinion. It is one of the five worst seasons to start things out that we have seen by a Cardinal starter in the last 50 years. So it, it, it's been really, really bad. And I think that the best way to go about this is to continue starting Dakota Hudson, piggyback him with Adam Wainwright. And I think your rotation after the deadline is Michaelis, Mats, 
Hudson, whoever you get via trade, and then Liberator. I think you just go with Liberator and find out what you've got there. Because if you are selling pieces off, you need to you need to see what he is. Because at that point, it's no longer about the winning. We are not talking about winning anymore. Now it's about development. It's about finding out what these guys can do. And whether you think that should be Liberator, or maybe you think it's Graceffo, maybe you think it's uh, McGreevy, find out what one of those young guys can do in a starting capacity down the stretch for you every fifth day. And then that can help you make some decisions this offseason for 2024. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that probably is the best route to go, but I see the Cardinals sticking, putting Wayno in one of those rotation spots. Or you go to a six-man rotation. That may be the the route you decide to go, is go to a six-man rotation. That way, Wayno's technically a starter. But then you also have those opportunities that we're talking about, where you have a rotation spot for a McGreevy or a Graceffo or for a, a uh, Libertor. I think maybe that's the route they go, because I think they're going to first try Wayno as a starter. I, I think that's the way they're going to go. And, yeah. and, and just... Using my business brain, if we will, and it's got it's just a small portion of my brain, so we'll see how this comes out. But Wayne, you talk about selling in the second half. What's the appeal to go to the ballpark? The appeal is going to be Wayno in the chase to two hundred, and I think the Cardinals will try to use that as a ticket sale driver. And I think that's part of the reason of bringing them back too. So I, I think the way they'll look part at part of the reason. Well, yeah, most of the reason. But I, I think those tickets are already sold, though. That's I, the other thing that, like, I, 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 I think, think right sometimes now, we overstate it. The the tickets that are I mean, that we're numbers, talking about, they're sold. The numbers have well, seemed to be down recently. Like when I went, it was like thirty six thousand. Like, look, that's a lot still, but that's not the sellout that we're talking about. And the chase to two hundred, I think they're not going to have that. They're not going to have that even if Wayno's out there. I think like, oh, Wayno's not enough of a draw. Oh, right I disagree. Now. Yeah, if there's a two hundred, yeah, they're going to people are purchasing tickets for home starts of Adam Wainwright, no matter what. Because it's the last season of seeing him. If he's bad or if he's not bad, people are going to those games because it's Adam Wainwright. And maybe he gets one of those starts at the end of the season because of that. Like, I I think that Adam Wainwright will start one of those games in the Cincinnati series to finish out September no matter what. Because this team, like specifically if the team's not contending, which we all expect. I think he's going to start one of those games. I think that's the way you sell it. I don't think he has to start every fifth or sixth day in order to get this, though. I actually think that you can go the wrong direction with that, where if he is starting and it's going poorly, it can actually end up uh, like alienating some of your fan base as a result. So I, I would go the other direction on it. I think you try to give him the best chance to win by bringing him out of the pin, especially if they're going to do this thing where they're not going to send him out on a rehab assignment Man, this guy needs to get himself worked back up. It's been a minute since he's pitched at the big league level. So I don't think he's going to be able to go more than a couple of innings when he's able to return. And if that's the case, he can't qualify for a win as a starter. So he should be coming back as a reliever in that regard, too. Yeah, I I just see them going to the six-man rotation. And I don't even see a harm in that. I understand what you're saying of, like, maybe it alienates it. I, I think at that point, you're just past that point. I think mean, people have already had that moment of frustration with Wayno coming back, taking $17.5 million on the payroll and pitching the way he has. If you're if you're not competing, like I'm not sure there's going to be much frustration towards him, and especially if you're in a six-man rotation. Five-man rotation, I can understand the frustration. Six-man rotation, you're just keeping these minor league pitchers, Libertor, McGreevy, whoever you may acquire that you want to throw into this rotation. You're keeping them almost, almost on schedule because that's what they do in the minor leagues. Yeah. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including one of the worst owners in pro sports is officially gone. Who is now the worst ownership group that we have? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
for some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The big news in the NFL yesterday was that the owners have officially approved the sale of the Washington Commanders. Dan Snyder is gone. He's out of the NFL. He's no longer going to be the owner of the Washington football team. We are all very happy about that. He's one of the worst owners in the history of professional sports. Alex, my question to you, though, is not so much about Snyder or uh, what the Washington football team is going to be moving forward. Who are the worst owners that now remain? Snyder was clearly number one. He was at the pinnacle. He was the top of the list. He's gone now. Who do you think takes over that mantle as the worst owner in pro sports in North America? Ooh. <sighs> Damn, that's tough. I the, the Knicks guy is gone, too, right? No, don't Dolan. No, Dolan? Dolan's still there. Yeah. So I would say him. He was it's my gotta be one him. guy. It's got to be him because I He's thought on my list. I thought Jerry Jones, but I, I mean, in terms of ownership, you're throwing a ton of money into your team. Even if he sucks as a general manager and people don't like him, throwing a ton of money into your team. Um, I know everybody here is going to want to say Stan Kroenke, but I, I, he's been a multi-time champion. You're right. Recently. You're right, T-Bone. I, I, yeah, I would probably yeah, go the Knicks owner. Suck. I would say James Dolan definitely won. I think Kroenke's pretty high on that list. Um, I don't even know who owns the Oakland Athletics, but the the owner of them is bad. And I know Tampa's had success, but I would put Tampa Bay Rays owner on that list just because he doesn't invest anything into that product. Pittsburgh Pirates owner. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that's not willing to invest money, so a lot of these MLB owners belong on this list. Cincinnati Reds, I can't remember his name. But he definitely oh, is on the yeah. list because a couple of years ago, two years ago, it was like, well, why would people come to that, come to watch your team play? Well, because you have to. You don't have any other option. So I don't care what my product is. You're going to show up. And it was like, okay. Yeah, well, that's not a, well, we didn't read the room exactly well there, did we? That's not how you sell. So I've got a few others that I would throw into this conversation. I think Dean Spanos of the Chargers, they are literally a lease team in the Ram Stadium. They left San Diego to lease a stadium from another team to be the clear-cut number two organization in that city that doesn't care about either team. That's smart. So I think Dean Spanos is up there. Jimmy Haslam with the Browns, I think might be like the leader in the clubhouse to be the worst NFL owner now that um, we have rid ourselves of the Dan Snyder problem. And then an ownership group that I don't think gets enough criticism in baseball for what they've done over the years is Peter Angelos and the Angelos family up in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That organization should not be run the way that it is. They should be in talks right now to uh, to get Shohei Otani. That should be what's happening right now. Instead, they're probably just going to go ahead and get like a couple of middling pitchers or something. Um, But they're currently leading the American League East, and nobody's talking about it because that ownership group has been cheap for years and they continue to run their organization that way. So I would say Peter Angelos is the one that like is kind of the sleeper contender for being the worst owner in North American sports right would, now. Would you put uh, Artie Moreno on this list? Oh yeah, I think you have LA to. Angels. It, it's yeah. tough. It's tough to. I don't know if say that's the right word, but it's tough to, for me to kind of put them on the list because, Just because he does they invest. spend money. Yeah, they spend money now. They don't spend it wisely, but yeah. they have spent money. But you're not willing to pay the generational player. 
Yeah, he's they are. The they are. Oh, I guess he's just true. not going to stay. Why does because I feel they, like he was just in the news over something? Because they're talking about because he Otani. said that they don't want to trade Otani. Not that yeah. they don't want to pay him, but they don't like want to trade him. It was something else about their stadium or something like that. I mean, that's entirely possible. But like, I, I, it, I would. I don't know if I can put him on this list be- because he spends money on their product. Yeah. And, and that that's the biggest thing for me. Are you willing to spend on the product to help try and improve the team? And he's definitely done that. It just hasn't gone well. By the way, Colorado Rockies owner has got to be on this list for sure. Yeah, he literally sure. paid $50 million for a franchise player to go away. No, that's okay. Well, that's, I mean, we that's, enjoyed that's it. but I, I would say move. the Coyotes ownership group also deserves a, a little bit of a wink and a nod to them. To- yeah. Calgary Flames too. I mean, they're they're like their refusal to build a new stadium is wild. They're getting one now, though, right? Uh, I think the city was up for a vote with the city. Yeah, I think I think that's something that they're they're planning to do. All right, final thing here for NFL quick hitters: the Minnesota Vikings have an issue on their hands. Their rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison, who they took in the first round this year, number twenty-three overall pick. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, he was the kid that was really good for Pittsburgh, then went to USC, was a little less good, but was still pretty good. He was going 140 miles per hour on a freeway just outside of Minneapolis in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. Once again, 140 miles per hour on the freeway in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. Alex, what is the punishment for something like this? The NFL has to be very sensitive because this is the same league that a few years ago we had the uh, the rugs incident in Las Vegas. Now, mm-hmm. there was no uh, reported incident here with alcohol or drugs, so that is something that should be noted. But, man, going 140 miles an hour, that's a potential felony. What do you make of this? I, I think you have to be harsh with this punishment. Now, obviously, not to the Henry Ruggs degree because that sure. was as bad as it gets but i mean if you're a rookie you're gonna have to understand that i can't make mistakes anymore because i'm in the spotlight so i would imagine it's gonna have to be some type of significant fine and a suspension that comes with it because you have to you got to strike the irons hot when you're a young player in the nfl and now is the time to do it when you get a guy breaking the law like this yeah i think it's going to be a suspension i don't know how long though because i think you have to do it and i don't know if they'll go i think like three three games three to five Three to six was kind of what I'm thinking is yeah. the range in which they're going to probably have to come down. I mean, on that's this. harsh. It, yeah. Well, for for the standard, but the problem is they don't have a standard to go back on. So whatever you do now sets the precedent for future. Which is why you need up. to be harsh. Exactly. So I would lean towards the side if you probably go like five to six games. No, in the NFL, I think it's going to be like two to three. Yeah. That's what you can't do, BK. I don't think you could do a one or two game suspension because I just don't know if, I mean, it's harsh, but it's not as harsh as you need to make the statement known. I feel like this is one of those that'll be a four game suspension and then it'll be appealed down to two. That that, that feels like the way that this ends up going is they try yeah. to make a statement with it. They give him the more games and then eventually the PA is like, no, you can't do that. This is too many games. And it, it gets appealed down to two. And then we all kind of move on from it after that. But I, I'm totally with you guys. Given what happened with Henry Ruggs, you do have to make a little bit of a statement here that, hey, this is not acceptable. You can't be driving 140 bleeping miles per hour in a 55-mile-an-hour uh, zone up in Minneapolis. Coming up next, where are all the pitching prospects in Major League Baseball? You would think that there would be a whole lot of them because there is so many great pitchers in Major League Baseball. There's not. Keith Law put out his top 50 earlier today. We'll tell you where Team Kent ranks among them. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Inside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Cardinals have a top 25 prospect right now in their system. He goes by the name of Mason Wynn. He's their shortstop of the future. He also might be their shortstop of the present. Alex, I was reading earlier today, Keith Law put out his updated top 60 uh, prospects in Major League Baseball. He had Mason Wynn at number 23 on that list. I'll go ahead and read you kind of the summary of how he views Mason Wynn right now as a prospect. Quote, an elite defender at shortstop who puts the ball in play a lot. He has some doubles power and is a 70 runner on a scale of 20 to 80. That's a pretty good player, I think. Maybe there's some more power down the road, but even if there's not, he should be a regular starter and be able to take over at shortstop next year for the St. Louis Cardinals. That is Keith Law, the athletics prospect guru, on what he sees in Mason Wynn. Alex, I mentioned that because earlier today I was also reading from Dane Perry, who I think does great work at uh, his Birdie Work newsletter, and he wrote the case against trading Paul DeYoung and why Paul DeYoung actually might be the Cardinals' best option at shortstop in 2024. I disagree with that notion. I think Paul DeYoung is the guy that, if we're saying like the number one player that should be traded at the deadline... I think that is uh, Tyler O'Neill. Number two for the Cardinals, for me, would be Paul DeYoung. I think he does have legitimate value on the trade market. We were talking earlier today about the uh, LA Dodgers and what they have right now available to them at shortstop. Dude, Paul DeYoung would be such a massive upgrade for them. He's a solid defender. He's on pace to hit 25 home runs this year in the big leagues. He's, he's a guy that, as an average shortstop, would be a market improvement for them. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, it's time for them to turn the page to Mason Wynn. And that means going through all of the potential struggles at the big league level that comes with it. Man, Mason Wynn has been great this year at AAA. Since early June, he's been pretty close to a 300 hitter on average. I think it is time, starting on you know August 4th, for the Cardinals to call up Mason Wynn, play him every day at shortstop, and get him a taste of of what it is like to go up against big league pitching. So that way he can adjust going into 2024. I'm curious, what was Dane Perry's reasoning why not to trade Paul DeYoung? Because of those struggles that I suggested that are likely to happen for Mason Wynn. And that's the reason I would trade Paul DeYoung. Because you don't need the fallback option. You don't need the option of, oh, well, Mason Wynn's struggling. We got this shortstop. We'll just play him and Mason Wynn can figure it out. No. Mason Wynn needs to go through these struggles. And if you're a retooling team that's not competing, although some people believe that there's some competition in the Cardinals still in the NL Central, regardless, give Mason Wynn the keys to the car and let him drive. And if he struggles, let him figure it out at the big league level. It's the mistake that they made with Jordan Walker. Like when they sent him down, I understand that he's been different since he returned, but I would have much rather him figured that out at the big league level than have to go down to Memphis and figure it out on the mental side of it and then figure it out physically. Mason Wynn, although he's had a lot more at-bats at the AAA level than Jordan Walker did, Mason Wynn is basically hitting what Jordan Walker was hitting at AAA. So you know the defense is going to play great. He provides you exactly what Paul DeYoung already gives you. If the offense isn't there... That's fine. You'll get that going at some point, but I know the speed and the defense is going to be there, and I need Mason Wynn. If I'm competing in 2024, I need Mason Wynn ready for next season. You know how you get ready? You play 50, 60 games before next year. 
And the benefit to this Cardinals lineup, the way that it is constructed currently, I know Ben Fred had a really good piece earlier today on how the, the Cardinals cannot like pull too much away from this lineup right now. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, you have a really good lineup one through seven right now. And what that allows you to do is you can have a defense first player batting eighth and ninth, especially a guy like Mason Wynn, who when he does put the ball into play, he is likely to end up on first base because of his speed. And when he gets on first, he has the opportunity to be able to steal 20-plus bags for you on a year-in, year-out basis because of that athleticism. And oh, by the way, he is a special defender at shortstop. So you can get much better defensively at shortstop and hopefully at in center field this offseason by going with Mason Wynn at short, figuring out what your future is in center field. And even if those guys are below-average offensive contributors— you can live with that because of the offense that you're getting from one through seven in your lineup. That is something that now, because you built that up, you can go ahead and have some liabilities, quote unquote, offensively for you down the uh, down the lineup. So that's that's where I lie with him as a prospect. Alex, we've talked so much though about pitching prospects, and this is both in the Cardinal system and also others when it comes to guys that would be interesting on the trade market for St. Louis. So, speaking of Keith Law's top 50 uh, prospects that he wrote about today, he has a total of five pitching prospects in the top 50. Five in the top 50. And if you want to narrow it down to, like, the top prospects in Major League Baseball, he only has two pitching prospects in the top 30. One is this year's number one overall pick who went to the Pirates. The other is Tink Hintz, who was already in the Cardinal system. So when we talk about what the Cardinals are going to do at the trade deadline, Alex, and we think about what the return on their investment is going to be, this is why I brought up yesterday the idea of trading for somebody like Clark Schmidt. It's because these guys that are at the back half of the top 50, man, that's where Matthew Liberatore was before he became a struggling major league starter for the Cardinals. The guys that are ranked in the you know 35 to 40 range, it's this Jackson Job character for the Tigers he missed the first half of 2023 with a lumbar spine inflammation. Yeah, that's not, that's not what you want to that's hear. Called back problems. Kyle Harrison was the number 40 overall prospect on this list. He has a 4.8 ERA and AAA for the Giants this year. He has walked 44 batters in 55 innings. That's like John Gant. So when I talk about how there is a lack of quality starting pitching prospects, this is what I'm talking about. This is not based on my opinion. This is a guy that is like paid to do exclusively ranking the prospects in minor league systems. Keith Law is basically telling you, yo, there is not a whole lot out there when it comes to prospects on the pitching side of things. If the Cardinals are going to improve this rotation for 2024, it's going to require them to trade for current major league starters and it's going to require them investing in free agents in the offseason. This is why when we did Believe It or Not yesterday and we asked the question, Believe It or Not, Cardinals fans will be underwhelmed by their trade acquisitions this deadline. I said believe it because there are there's nobody out there that you're going to acquire with your rentals that is going to make you say, wow, Cardinals got a lot. It's going to be guys that are in A-ball that are maybe top 100 prospects, maybe not. But guys, you're probably not going to see for three to four years because that's what happens when you're giving up rentals. And this is why I'm so skeptical of the Cardinals 
overhauling this rotation for 2024 because it's going to require you to trade Gorman or Donovan or Newt Bar to get one of those legit players in your top three. And then on top of it, that's only one guy. The other side of it is you're dropping 30 to $40 million for the other ace that you're putting into this conversation. So there's not guys come August 1st that you look at and you say, Oh yeah, way to go, Cardinals! It's going to be really. That's who you got for Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, and, and any arm that you even acquire that's even close to major league ready, it's still going to take him like three, four years to develop into being a contribute, a true contributing starting pitcher, not just a yep. potential number five. I mean, look at Matthew Libertor. We had the question earlier: Are you giving up on Matthew Libertor? No, but it's taking a long time to develop these starting pitchers, and Libertor is just like the prime example for the Cardinals right now because he's what gotten two years here at the big league level now and you've seen it's taking him a while to develop and we'll see how much longer it takes him but these guys are not getting built up in the minor leagues very well they're barely thrown any innings as we've talked about this week so it's going to take time for them to build up innings and also build up effectiveness i mean you're talking about a triple a arm that could take three years potentially before he's even a true and i mean true like number three for you in a rotation if he even has that ceiling this also elevates the value of guys like a Clark Schmidt in the major leagues who have just become like really solid middle of the rotation starters. And I know that is frustrating for Cardinals fans to hear, but like yesterday I asked on Twitter for Cardinals fans, would you be willing to trade straight up Dylan Carlson for Clark Schmidt? And for those not familiar, Clark Schmidt is a 27-year-old pitcher for the Yankees. He's got four years of club control remaining. He's been basically a league average starter this year. He's got a 4.3 ERA and 95 innings. He's got a little bit of swing and miss. He's kind of similar in terms of the swing and miss and strikeout rates to Jordan Montgomery, just to kind of put a, a face with a name. So Clark Schmidt is the pitcher that I talked about here. I asked Cardinals fans, would you say yes to that trade? Carlson for Schmidt straight up. About 50% of the responses were no. I, I would not trade Dylan Carlson straight up for Clark Schmidt. So the reason why I bring that up is because when there is a lack of top-end pitching prospects, that's the kind of return that you're probably looking at for somebody like a Dylan Carlson. And if that is underwhelming, then I agree with you guys. I think that Cardinals fans are probably going to be a little underwhelmed with the return because when there is a lack of pitching prospects that have that high upside, certainty becomes what teams look for. And when a bunch of teams are looking for the same thing, they're all going to be valuing it at a really high clip. And it's going to be hard for the Cardinals to be able to acquire those guys unless they're willing to part with pieces they don't want to give up. The other thing you can try to accomplish is rather than go for the pitching prospects, pivot and go for the best available position players. And then in the offseason, try and make some trades of those position players if their stock rises anymore of the offseason to acquire pitching prospects or at least closer Major League Baseball ready pitchers. That's what Milwaukee did last year. Yeah, Milwaukee's plan was we're going to trade... Um, our closer, Josh Hader, for prospects. And then in the offseason, they basically flipped those prospects to get William Contreras. Yeah. So that is something, Alex, that's actually a really good point. That is something to keep in mind. Just because the Cardinals acquire somebody at the deadline does not mean that's the end of what they're expecting to do. It's entirely possible 
that the Cardinals could then flip those prospects this offseason, maybe even for a starting pitcher that a current contender needs in 23, but by the offseason, that contender might be looking to flip that guy for somebody else. Yeah, because once you hit the offseason, sometimes teams have to go in a different direction where they look at it and you say, okay, well, we got pending guys that are going to arbitration that are going to cost too much, and maybe we still feel like we're years away, so let's go after aggressively what we can get for this guy now, and then you have more prospects in your system, and guess what? You're not giving up the guys that you don't want to get rid of because you've got better options via trade. So that's why I don't know if I'm just going to just be underwhelmed by what the Cardinals get on August 1st because it still remained to be seen of what they do in the offseason because Mo's got two opportunities to be very aggressive to upgrade 2024, and if you fail at both of those, then we've got more issues. So the one thing that I would ask you, though, if you could have the Cardinals get one thing, acquire one thing at the trade deadline, what would it be? And the reason why I ask this question, I'll give you my answer first before I get yours, Alex. I want to see them acquire one pitcher that I believe can be a number three or four starter for them in 2024. Like, at a minimum, expecting them to be in the middle of your rotation going into 2024. I think that is something that is important for them to acquire at the trade deadline, so that way they get a head start on their wish list going into the offseason. If you could acquire one thing at the trade deadline, what would it be? You're, you're right on par with me. Mine was going to be somebody, and I would even go a little bit more aggressive, somebody who slots in between two and four. Because you're going to lessen the blow of work you're going to have to do in the offseason. But if I also had to add something different since you went that route, BK, I would say pitchers that are closer to being in your bullpen for 2024 that have swing and miss stuff. Kind of like what they accomplished when they got Giovanni Gallegos from the Yankees. You're going to need some of those guys if you're overhauling the bullpen on top of your rotation. Um, But either of those, you're going to have to get something that makes 2024 look a little clearer. Yeah, I'd say you got to. I agree with BK and I agree with you. Maybe even two to four would be even a better kind of framing of what I want them to acquire. Because I don't see them going into the offseason and getting three pitchers. I I just don't see it. I, I think they've got to get one of those guys at this trade deadline and then they can figure out the other two spots once they get into the off season. Yeah, I somebody on the text line said, "Guys, do you think the idea of trading for somebody like a Gilbert isn't possible anymore?" I think it's really hard to envision that happening at the deadline. Um and the tough part is and I was listening to Ken Rosenthal talk about the deadline yesterday. He was on foul territory um with AJ Przinsky. And he basically said, "Hey, there's just not a lot of prospects that are available right now. There aren't a lot of teams that are are in sell mode or that are willing to give up the top tier prospects for big time major league players. And so what he, he predicted that teams are going to do is kind of what the Cardinals did last year with the Yankees, where it's, we need this, we have that. Should we swap them? And so I think you could see some of that, but that's where the Yankees once again come into mind for me for the Cardinals is uh, you look around at who are the teams that have a lot of starting pitching, including guys that are cost controlled, that are willing to give some up because they have stuff that's coming up behind that player. There's just not many of them, man. And this gets back to the, the pitching prospects that we were just discussing the guys that are in the top end of this list are the pirates, the Cardinals, Tigers, Giants, and Dodgers. The Dodgers are a team that could probably trade from their current starting pitching, but their guys are all hurt. The Yankees are a team that could do it, and people aren't excited about Clark Schmidt, who's probably the number one player that they'd be willing to trade. 
I don't think the Tigers have much that you're excited about. The Giants don't have guys that are cost-controlled for the most part. And the Pirates and Cardinals aren't making a big-time trade for one of their starting pitchers that you really like. So it's it's just really hard to find the fit for the Cardinals until we potentially get to the offseason. And then maybe you could find something that's a little bit more likely for that. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Let's dive into the junk drawer. The biggest news this week in non-sports related is what's taking place in the movie theaters. I know we've discussed this a little bit today, guys, but I wanted to get back into it because I find this to be really interesting. We have legitimate like box office hits that are coming out this weekend with Oppenheimer and Barbie both being released this week. Guys, when was the last time we had multiple movies released on the same weekend that were not either a superhero movie like a marvel movie that was coming out or some kind of a sequel or trilogy or a series that was taking place because that's what we're seeing this weekend two like original films that are the first of their quote-unquote kind if you so if you want to put it that way that are expected to be big time box office hits can you remember the last time that we had something like this um it's been a minute, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, it's been, especially if you're talking about two at the same time, because typically it's one, and then the next month you get one. It's rare you get them both out at the same time. The last one that I can think of was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with uh, Tarantino. Like, that's the last one that I can think of that legitimately had buzz, but I don't even think that buzz was anywhere near Oppenheimer or the Barbie movie. So, And there wasn't a second one to go with it that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, and that's the that's thing. The is thing. I, I, I don't, I, you can't come up with films where there were multiple at the same time that were this big. I guess like, so Nope and Elvis came out the same weekend last year. I guess that no. would probably be the closest thing that we've seen to this, right? Yeah, because both were very highly touted. Nope yeah. didn't feel like it had the same buzz that Elvis did, but it still had buzz. Agreed. But Other this than, year, like, this is the top box office, top 10 box office film films this year. Yeah. Tell me if you sense a theme here, okay? The Super Mario Bros. movie, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Little Mermaid, Avatar Way of Water, Ant-Man and the Wasp, the new one, John Wick Chapter 4, Creed 3, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, and then Indiana Jones. Those are the top 10 movies this year, Oh my man. gosh, and Indiana Jones was, I just saw something that like, it hasn't even reached where it's spent in terms of its budget and, or for the movie and in marketing. Like, it, I, it's a loss right now. And I had a buddy who saw Transformers and he said it was terrible. He said it like I, ruined the franchise for him. Well, wow, I that's mean, they, huh? that, that's, that's pretty bold. high, that's a pretty high regard. <laughs> I mean, I guess he thought, he, he thought the first few were good. <laughs> that's fair. Um, last year, here were the top movies. Top Gun, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Avatar, Jurassic uh, Jurassic World, Minions, The Batman, Thor, Love and Thunder, which was, by the way, I saw about a month ago, horrible. Just absolutely horrible. Which one, Batman or Thor, Love and Thunder? Thor. Thor, Love and Thunder. Oh. Yeah, Terrible. that one tried to be too funny. 
uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, and then Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It's insane what's happening with movies, man. I told Tanner, this is the first time I've been excited for a movie since Avengers Endgame. That, that I've gotten this excited about in terms of Oppenheimer, not Barbie movie. Yeah, and, and somebody... that says something about how bad films have been because typically between Avengers Endgame and now I've been like I, I'm not going to go waste the money to go to the movies I'll just wait until it comes out this one I don't want to wait until it comes out somebody on the text line says who is claiming that these two movies are hits and then another one says ba- Barbie is not going to be a box office hit oh, okay. guys, you guys are I, I think Barbie's going to do huge numbers at the box it's office it's already off to a great start someone said guys Oppenheimer is a sequel have you ever heard of World War One? <laughs> Touche, sir. Also, no spoilers. Yeah, anybody who says Barbie is not going to be a blockbuster is fooling themselves and is just not wanting to come to reality that Barbie is going to be a hit because you spent a ton of money on it. Here you go. Warner Brothers announced earlier today that uh, Barbie collected a whopping $23 million from Thursday night's uh, previews, beating out similar one-night totals from the following. The Batman, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Top Gun Maverick, Avatar Way of Water, and The Hunger Games. Wow. Yeah, Barbie's going to be a box office hit, guys. I know that it's not like for our specific demographic that is listening to us right now, but yo, your wife's going to want to see this. Your kids are going to want to see <laughs> yep. this. And I hate to be the bear of bad news. That means you're probably going to end up seeing it. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, fellas. But I'm actually surprised it did better than uh, Top Gun Maverick because Top Gun Maverick grossed over a it's billion huge. dollars. Oh, Barbie's going to do more than that. Yeah, so like that, that is pretty because telling. Because the niche that went to saw Top Gun, the original, is the same group, if not bigger, of the niche that's going to see the Barbie movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Like guys in their 30s and 40s that went to see Top Gun that were so excited about it because since uh, the original, it's that same group of females that spent their entire lives with Barbie that are dying to go see this movie. And my wife is one of them. We also had somebody, a couple of people mentioned the fact that Mission Impossible has come out over the course of the last week as well. True, but that's kind of in the theme of what I was mentioning with a lot of these being uh, movies that we've seen before in one iteration or another. Whether it's just a continuation, a sequel, etc. Mission Impossible has like 27 different Yeah, I was going to say, also correct me if I'm wrong though, Mission Impossible are like Fast and Furious movies. Like, can we we stop? Like, there's enough of them. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Disagree. It's the same thing. I don't need to see Tom Cruise flying on the side of an airplane. I've seen that in Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3, 4, five and six agree true but i need to see it again no, i need I to see it one more time it again <laughs> just like i don't need to see vin diesel on screen going we're family <laughs> coming up next did major league baseball make a mistake with this balanced schedule randy sure seemed to think so we'll let you hear it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn The last time the Cardinals will see the Chicago Cubs in this 2023 season is July 30th. Isn't that terrible? Right now, baseball is wasting rivalries, and that should be the hallmark of baseball. The fulcrum of baseball should be based in those rivalries. How tone-deaf, how stupid can baseball be to have a schedule that doesn't have the Cardinals and the Cubs seeing each other in August or September? 
That was Randy Carricker making no mistake of how he feels about the Cardinals' current schedule and Major League Baseball scheduling with the New Balance schedule in 2023. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Alex, I, I do share some of the frustrations with Randy, certainly not to the same degree that he does, but I think it is silly that the Cardinals play Chicago eight times in a two-week stretch over the course of July 20th through July 30th. I think that's silly. I think it's bad scheduling by Major League Baseball. I actually like the new uh, balanced schedule, though. I like the fact that we're going to see all of these teams every year. I like the fact that Cardinals fans on a every-other-year basis will be able to watch Aaron Judge and Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. I think that's good for the sport. I think it's good for fans. And honestly, I think it's good for baseball that the Cardinals can't rest on their laurels by playing in the National League Central and beating up on a bad division every single season, where they have to now up their ante a bit to be able to contend with other teams in both the American League and the National League. So I think most of what's happened with the balanced schedule has been really good. I think one of the quirks with the scheduling, like, the four game schedule or four game series this week and next against Chicago, one of those should have been placed in like late August, early September. But otherwise, I think Major League Baseball did a pretty darn good job with this. Yeah, I, I, people should be happy that this is how the schedule works now because the Cardinals don't have the ability to say, well, we beat up on the NL Central and that's how we get into the playoffs. So we'll just keep doing what we're usually doing. It, this season forced John Mozeliak to look at his team and say, We've got to change the model. And I don't think that would have happened years past when you're playing Pittsburgh 19 times in the season. That gets frustrating. I do I do see where Randy's coming from on the frustration of the Cubs series because it's the same as the Blues thing. Like, it, it pisses me off sometimes when the Blues don't play the Dallas Stars or the Chicago Blackhawks or the Minnesota Wild at the end of the season. You know, they play them three times in the middle of December when it doesn't matter as much as the end of the season. Now, this is different now with the Cubs because the Cubs aren't going to be competing for anything, although you might not be competing for anything. But years to come, when the division continues to grow and the Cincinnati Reds get better and the Pittsburgh Pirates get better, I want to see those teams in September. I don't want to see those teams in July and then not see them again. I don't want to play for a postseason berth the Washington Nationals in the middle of September. So that's the part that should change. But I'll take this for not having to see the Pirates 19 times in a season. Yeah, I, I don't really care either way. Like if we end up saying like, okay, they got to have the Cubs at the end of the end of the season. Okay, fine. I guess I get it. But I, it doesn't bother me either way because I just don't, I, I really don't care because like this in September, they have more series against the division than they do against in, anybody outside of the division. I think it's five to four or six to four, something along those lines. So I, I just don't have an issue that the, the fact of the matter that it's a scheduling quirk that they're just not going to see the Cubs in August or September. So I, I just, it doesn't bother me. I, I like the balanced schedule. I don't want to go back to seeing teams 19 times because God, watching the Pirates 19 times is just dreadful. It's like when we played the Coyotes seven times in one season. Oh, that or was one bad. one week, I should say. Oh, that was awful, too. Like, I, I just don't want to go back to it. I, I like the balance schedule the way it is now where you get to see everybody. And if that means you get, like, a scheduling fluke like this where you're not going to see Chicago in August or September, okay, I don't care. Sign me up. I, I like this balance schedule much better. See, like, I think as an example of this as to why I really enjoy the balance schedule, have you guys seen the way that the Cardinals open up the season next year? Yeah, not ideal for travel, especially a team that likes to use the excuse of being exhausted all They're the time. They're going to be really tired. They're going to be really tired. To L.A. Whew. 
They're, they're not East going Coast, to West Florida. They're, they're playing Miami here. Um, oh, that's they, Midwest they to out, West. They start out in L.A. They play four games against the Dodgers. Then they have three games in San Diego. Then you come home, you play against the Marlins, and you play against the uh, Philadelphia Phillies from there. Those are some, uh, first of all, tough, tough schedule. going to be exhausted, start. really tired at the bit, end of that stretch. That's an awesome way to start out the season. Like, you're going to see star power from the Dodgers. You're going to see star power from the Padres. You're going to see star power from the Phillies. And I know those are National League teams that you would have seen anyways. But then later on in the summer, you're going to see star power from the Angels. You're going to see star power from the Astros. Like, this is the thing that I really enjoy about it, is that it does allow fans the opportunity to see some of these players that they otherwise would not. You're going to see Texas here in St. Louis next year. That's going to be a lot of fun to be able to see those te- those players. Seattle is coming to St. Louis in September next season. Those are the kinds of things that just didn't exist in the previous format. I do think, once again next year, you don't play Chicago after uh, early August. I think that's a squ- scheduling quirk that should be looked into. But I think that's just about it. I, I think after that, everything else that they've done in terms of the scheduling um, it is something that has been a net positive for Major League Baseball. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I like what you said there about Cairo, and I do think there's a case to be made, Alex, about it. I just view center as a more important position yeah. than the wing. And so the the reason why I think it's so important to have Robert Thomas becoming that number one centerman, and this is a piece that I saw, I think it was on The Athletic, about the teams that had won the cup in the last really 15 years and who was their number one center. All of them had like stud number one centerman. That yeah. It was not hard to define. It was just a very clear, this guy can go up against the top line from the opposing team and you feel like you have an advantage because he's there. Ryan O'Reilly was that guy for the Blues, and nobody questioned it. I think right now people are questioning it with Robert Thomas, and that's totally natural because he's 24 years old. So I'm not expecting him today to be that guy. Can he be, though, can you project that two, three years from now? I think that's what this upcoming season is about. And if you come out of it saying no, that's not inherently a bad thing. You can still win with that guy being on your roster, even at $8 million when the cap goes up, if you have somebody like an Elias Lindholm or Chandler Stevenson or a Mark Shifley who can take on that role as the number one center to go up against the opposing team's number one, top line or Sebastian Ajo, for example. The part that's so interesting with Robert Thomas in, in where we're putting the standards, and somebody texted in and said the reason we put these standards on him is because the Blues said he's the face of the franchise and gave him $8.5 million. They absolutely did that. But you also have to remember, and this is just the other side of it to do devil's advocate, BK, is – he was also a 20th overall draft pick in the first round. And when you look at the top centermen, the elite centermen who go on Stanley Cup runs, talking about the McKinnons and the Backstroms and the McDavids and things like that, even the Jack Eichels, you're talking about the best of the best. So you do have to temper expectations a little bit for Robert Thomas, but let's say he progresses 2% next year and maybe he has a little bit of a dip back and you're looking at it and he's like, ah, it's still kind of 50-50. Typically guys like Robert Thomas they hit their peak around 26, 27. So you're still two to three years away from that. And then you'd be talking about a guy who's been in the NHL for seven, eight years. And the good news is you'd have him, excuse me, under contract for the next six seasons. 
So the real key for the Blues is if Robert Thomas doesn't hit that elite status, you're going to have to get really good fallback options like they did in 2018-19 where they had O'Reilly, they had Shen, they had Bozak. You've got to have those fallback pieces if you don't have the best of the best. Right, and and that's where next year's free agency class is so compelling to me. And it's why I think you need to learn this now because you have the opportunity to go find that number one center and all it costs you is money. Normally, to get these guys, you would have to give up crazy big assets. Like, you'd have to be giving up um, a a Jimmy Snuggerud or a Bull Duke plus other top-level prospects. Right now... Because of the free agency class that currently exists for 2024, you just have to give them money. Like, imagine Elias Lindholm as the number one centerman for this team, Alex. If, if again, this is requiring Robert Thomas does not take that next step this upcoming season. Yeah. If you have a situation where you're paying Elias Lindholm probably eight, eight and a half million dollars, and he's your top center, Robert Thomas is your number two center, and then you have a combination of one of Shin. Kevin Hayes, maybe Dean, maybe Dvorsky, whoever ends up winning out for that third-line center. Now, that is starting to have the appearance of a championship-contending down-the-middle type of a scenario. And you're good defensively with those three down the middle. The reason why I find that to be so important is because, man, as much as we blamed the defensive core last year for what happened to that team defensively, it wasn't just them. And we've heard this from Craig Berube as well as from Doug Armstrong. The forwards had to improve defensively as well. They put the defense at times in bad situations. You know what Sebastian Ajo does? You know what Elias Lindholm does? Those guys make up for any of those limitations that you might have defensively. And the question that I have going into this year, can Robert Thomas do the same thing? That's what he's got to answer. Yeah, you got to be able to not be a liability on the ice. And the guys that you're backing as the faces of the franchise, you've got to take that step forward. But uh, you've got the center at least depth in mind now with Dean and Dvorsky in your system that you're hoping that if Robert Thomas doesn't get there, maybe one of these guys can get there or at least provide that depth for you. That's why I always go back to Kyrou BK because if you don't re-sign Pavel Buchnevich, Man, who's your fallback in terms of game changers on the wing? Because just as important as centerman is somebody who can score goals in the postseason. And as we saw this past postseason for certain teams, if the top guys aren't scoring goals for you, you're going to have to have somebody else who can step up. And sometimes teams don't develop those types of players. So you rely heavily on the top ones. Vegas is a perfect example. They got Barbashev. They got guys like William Carlson that contributed. But if they don't have the Marcius and the Mark Stones and the Jack Eichels, you're not winning anything. So it's like a one-two punch right now for this team. If you don't have one or both of those guys, you're going to be in dire trouble in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, I, I suppose. But like, I mean, that's where that's where these number one centermen come in. Like Sebastian Ajo scored 36 goals last year. He scored, he's a consistent 30 goal scorer in his NHL career. That's, that's what you kind of expect out of him. Uh, Elias Lindholm, that's a guy that consistently scores 25 to 30 goals in his career. Mark Shifley scored 42 goals last year and has been a consistent 30 plus goal guy. If you're signing one of these number one centermen, you're expecting them to be a secondary scorer as well. Yeah. And like, I, I don't have any question about Jordan Kyrou's scoring capabilities. I have questions about what he is defensively. And what helps is if I've got a guy that I could put next to him, like an Elias Lindholm or a Sebastian Ajo, where they can take away some of those limitations from what Jordan Kyrou is as a defender 
and they set him up for that goal scoring ability as well. So I, I think that you can have both of those guys, even at their current cap hit, which I know will be probably slightly overpaid if they're second line players, but that is what it is. If you end up in a situation where two years from now, the cap has gone up another $10 million from where it is today, you can potentially retain Cairo, retain Thomas, pay Pavel Buchnevich, and bring in one of these centers that I'm talking about because of that depth that you have that you've brought into the system over the course of the last three months since the trade deadline with Jimmy Snuggerud, Dvorsky, Dean, all of these guys that are currently coming through your system that are going to be cheap and cost-controlled options for you for years to come. Yeah. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Count that, that big bang. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. A little bit of news to pass along. St. Louis City, according to Manuel Veth, has signed a deal, or has reached a deal, rather, to sign. I'm going to apologize for the pronunciation on this. You got this. Come on, man. Nokvi Thorson? How'd Thor? I do? Thor? We're going to call him Thor. They've signed Thor. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Now spell it's it. It's a $600,000 transfer fee. They are apparently working out some of the small details, but this guy is a left winger. He is expected to sign with St. Louis City SC. This is one of the players that we were mentioning uh, the other day when we were talking about what City could do during this uh, this transfer period. T-Bone, I know we, we don't know a ton about the player. Let's just be totally upfront and honest, but it seems like this is a good signing uh, for City. What do you think about them going out there and making a big-time move and spending big money to get this 23-year-old winger? Well, they clearly think he's going to have an impact on, I'm assuming, the starting 11. He's either for the starting 11 or a bench piece. My guess, though, is probably the starting 11. And I, I like to see them make this kind of move. Again, don't know much on the player, but I like to see them being aggressive because it tells me they're trying to go somewhat all-in in terms of trying to capture the MLS Cup. So I, I'm glad to see they're willing to spend some dollars to bring in somebody that's going to help this team because they definitely need some reinforcement. I'm not saying they're far off from being a top team in the MLS, but they definitely needed some reinforcements. So glad to see him make this move. Yep. I also sure. like seeing the age. 23 years old. That's something that like maybe this guy can be around for the next couple of years and he helps you not just for 2023, but for future years to come as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the fact that they decided to go young. Tough to find some of those guys on the market unless you start going to like I mean, this guy came from the Belgian second league, so you got to go find and try and get steals like that, especially at the MLS, try and get those guys in while they're young. So I, I don't mind it at all. I don't, again, I don't know if he's going to be the starting 11 or he'll come off the bench. I think he might. they may try to have him take Stroud's job on the left side. All right, so that is your update on St. Louis City SC. We'll try to find somebody next week that we can have on the show to give us a little bit more info on what kind of a player City is adding here. All right, let's get to one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start with this. 
Alex NHL Weekend Road Trip Edition for the St. Louis Blues. Vegas, Nashville, Montreal, or Miami. Weekend trip to watch the Blues. Which one's got to go? Mine would be Montreal. And it's not because I don't want to go to Montreal. I'd love to check it out. And from JR's perspective, I'd love to try some of those hot dogs in Montreal. But the other three, if I'm going road trip weekend, I'm going to go where the destination is going to be as good as the hockey. And all three of those places outweigh Montreal. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting rid of Montreal, too. And I just honestly have no real interest in going to Montreal. The really? hot dogs kind of appealing, but no. Oh, I want to go to Montreal. Oh, I've heard really? it's incredible. I, I have no yeah. interest in Montreal. I have more like interest in like uh, Vancouver than I do Montreal. I'm, I'm thinking of the destination as much as I'm thinking of the hockey, though. Of course, destination, all three I of these. I am, too. But I think of the competition yeah. you're going to get with Miami, with Nashville, although Nashville's kind of stinky, but still a rivalry, and then Vegas compared to Montreal. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely getting rid of uh, Nashville on this one. Like, I can go to Nashville for a weekend where it doesn't pertain to the NHL, and I can have a pretty good time out there, and it's close, so I can just make a weekend road trip out of it. Miami, Montreal, and Vegas are destination cities in a way that Nashville is not, at least for me. So I, I think Montreal looks awesome, dude. That is one of my bucket list cities that I would love to go to, especially in the early fall. I, I want to go to Montreal and then go to Quebec City afterwards. Like that that is something that I would love to do for like a five day weekend. He's just getting rid of Nashville because he doesn't want to go with T Bone like I did. And honestly, I don't. I get it, BK. That's fair. You don't One's got to go. Alex. Toppings on your hamburger edition: lettuce, tomato, onion, or pickles. Oh, this is easy. Lettuce. There's nothing good about lettuce really? on burgers. What? You're either getting the whole freaking like lettuce head, which basically is too much. Or you're getting like the stringy lettuce, which just gets soggy and it's not good. Lettuce is never good on burgers. It just becomes soggy or too much. Interesting. All the others are great. I'd get rid of tomatoes. I'm not a big tomato oh, guy. Oh, man. I don't, I'm not big on onions either. I can handle a little bit of onion, but like pickles, lettuce, I can go with. I love I, a good tomato. I can't do tomato on anything. I'm not That first not bite fan. when it gushes all over. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's great. I don't want anything gushing on me, you know? <laughs> not a fan. We know, buddy. Clip we know. T-bone. Uh, Onions is the correct answer here. Uncooked onions are the worst. Oh, you're crazy. I, I don't mind a, a good, like, caramelized onion. Ooh, chef's kiss. Love it. No. Uncooked no. onions? I'm good, man. No. I don't need that on my uh, on my burger. I don't need that on anything, You honestly. get the perfect thin circular onion. It's not too much onion, yeah. but just that no. right yeah. crisp. Ooh. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely not. One's got to go to visit edition. A river, a mountain, a lake, or an ocean? River, a mountain, a lake, and ocean. Isn't a river and a lake the same thing? I think I'll get rid of what? a river. Are you serious? Yeah. No. I don't. I don't have much. What's the difference? What's fun about a, a river? river can run into a lake? Yeah, but, but what... a river is not the same thing as a lake. What's no. fun about a river? Yeah, I was say, Am what, I missing something? What's the desk? lakes are stagnant? Rivers typically flow. When was the last time somebody said, "Let's go to the river and have some fun"? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, have you never been on a float trip? Yeah, and they're awful. Oh, okay. Well, I, would get, I, would <laughs> I guess get, a river is what you get rid of. I like lakes because I, I like swimming in the lake, an ocean. Like, I, I love going to the ocean, and, like, a mountain would be fun. So, like, I guess I'm getting rid of a river. I just, to me, I don't find the float trip all that appealing. And, like, when you first said river, I'm going, who's going, hey, let's go fishing at the river today? Here's the thing. I mean, have you been to Colorado? That's what you do. You go fly fishing in the river. I have not been to Colorado and done that. No. Here's the thing okay. about rivers. I don't want to see what's underneath me. Lakes and oceans, I don't see it. I don't know what's under there. Still scary, but I don't see it. River, I'm going to watch that snake slither underneath your inner tube. I'm out on that. What? Okay. 
I'm going. I'm going with uh, the. I'm going with the lake. Lake would be the one that I'm getting rid of here. Uh, there's just more stuff that I can do oh, in a river. Oh, shut it! You're getting rid of the ocean. Yeah, I thought for sure yeah. you'd answer ocean. No, you guys know I love going to the ocean. I just don't like being in the ocean. That uh. makes no sense. <laughs> it does. I, I can enjoy the view of something without having to get in, right? No, no, no. That's, I that's not I, how that works. I love. I love looking at really tall things. I don't like heights. I don't want to go on the top of a really tall building, but I love looking at it for the beauty of it. You Who know, loves looking at a tall building. That I mean, New York, me like the entire half of, of the appeal of okay. going to New York is seeing all the skyscrapers. Yeah. I just picture PK. I, wow, look how tall that is. Wow. No, I don't want to go up in it, but look how tall that is. Wow. All right, one's gotta go. <laughs> spicy foods edition. Wow. General Tso's chicken. Buffalo wings, Nashville chicken, or jalapeno popper peppers? Oh, God. All of these sound awful. I'm not big on jalapeno poppers. Is General Tso's spicy? Eh, it can be. I've only had it, like, once, and I just... Now I assume it's the same as it's, sweet and sour chicken. Yeah, no, it's, it's not It's not like that. Okay. It, it is spicier than, like, sweet and spicy. Gotcha. It, it's a spicier chicken from a... Uh, that's my typical go-to from okay. a Chinese spot. Mine's usually orange chicken. Love me some orange chicken from a Chinese spot. Anyway... Uh, Nashville hot chicken because that's going to do the most damage to my my colon. So I'm going to get rid of that one. I had to settle for terrible barbecue in Nashville. Oh shut up! He's the one that wanted to, to go to barbecue before yeah, we left. Because otherwise, I was going to be eating like a I don't even fast food on the road was what we were going to be eating, and that's I didn't exactly want to do that after we did it the night before or two nights before. So I settled for barbecue and honestly regretted that decision. To me, though, it's the jalapeno poppers. I'm just not big on jalapeno oh, poppers. I, love I don't know why. And I, I like jalapenos I love on stuff. fried jalapeno poppers. Uh, see, I just, I'm not into that, and oh, I don't know yeah. why. So I, I say they've got to go. Yeah, lo- love me some good jalapeno poppers. I, I would probably get rid of General Tso's chicken on this one. I, I love buffalo wings, love Nashville chicken, love jalapeno poppers. I have no issues with General Tso's chicken. I, just not a go-to for me. Like, I, I honestly, of all of the, like, specific areas of food chinese would probably be my last resort and i know that a lot of people disagree with me significantly oh, i agree but. there I, I think that's a great take i actually think i agree with that too yeah. although i do love hey. me some good crab rangoon eh. oh okay are you a t-bone are you a uh, egg roll guy or crab rangoon oh, guy he's I, feel absolutely like you're an egg roll I don't guy. like either i don't like either okay. i'm out on both i hate egg rolls nasty Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind. All of your favorite players just grounded out while the bases were loaded. We'll tell you what happened next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan, featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you guys have missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
Alex, the Cardinals are leading the Cubs one to nothing in the bottom of the second inning. They're doing so no thanks to Dylan Carlson, who has been a net negative so far today. Complete liability, if you will. So far today, he struck out to open up things as the leadoff hitter for the Cardinals. Then, with the bases loaded and two outs in the top of the second, he had a weak ground out to the pitcher uh, that ended up finishing that inning. And then, to open up the bottom of the second... He ended up making what would have been an otherwise excellent play in all seriousness. Um, great route. Had a great read on the ball. It was about 105 miles an hour off the bat of Cody Bellinger. Uh, unfortunately, was not able to come down with it as he hit the ground. Ball pops out of his glove. Ends up being a double for Belly. I kid about him being a liability today. But in all seriousness, when he gets these opportunities... This is the type of situation that he has to take advantage of. Lefty on the mound, you got to make the most of your opportunities, especially when you're up in the second inning with the bases loaded and two outs. You just got to come through in those spots if you want consistent op- consistent at-bats. Yeah, and it's the inconsistency of Dylan Carlson, and that's how we got to this point. You could use the argument all you want of he's 24 years old and you could be getting more from him or he's going to go somewhere else and make you pay, maybe, but he's not going to... Do what you're hoping in St. Louis, and with 1,300 at-bats under his belt, it's pretty obvious that he just can't be consistent for you, and that's why we've got to the point where you look at it and you say you just have to trade him because you have to open up the spot so that you could give somebody else multiple opportunities. Yeah, and people still value him across Major League Baseball to where, though you may look at him and say, you know what, I still think he can develop into something, you're kind of in a log jam right now, and if people still value him, even though he can't hit right-handed pitching, you can send him away and try and gain something back in return. I mean, BK mentioned this earlier, and I think you said he put up a Twitter poll of would you trade Carlson straight up for Clark Schmidt of the New York Yankees? I, I would because I, I think you're getting something that you need and getting rid of something and selling high in a Dylan Carlson of a guy that, let's just be honest, I, I don't know if he's going to end up developing into an everyday outfielder. I think right now he's more projecting towards becoming just a platoon bat for a team that can only hit left-handed pitching. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And even in his recent stretch where he's been better against right-handed pitching people bring up the OPS or they bring up the the on-base percentage where he's getting on a lot against right-handed pitching he's had like a 20% walk rate against righties over the course of the last month or so guys that's just not sustainable it's not something that he's had against either side at any point in his career he's been getting I don't say this disparagingly he's been getting really lucky really fortunate with some of his at-bats against right-handed pitching lately with the on-base percentage he has slugged like 250 against them. The problem for Dylan Carlson since the end of the 2021 season has been his inability to hit for any kind of power against righties. I'm fine with him hit, hitting 210 or 220 against righties, but it's got to come with some power. And so far this year, he's slugging 335 against right-handed pitchers. It's just not good enough, man. It, it means that you are a everyday player 30% of the time. What I mean by that is you can start for me against left-handed pitching where he's still been really good this year despite his struggles today and you can't really go out there on a consistent basis against right-handed pitching. So that's why I think eventually he's going to be traded whether it's at the deadline or this offseason because other teams will value him in a way that the Cardinals just don't. And that that's where we're at with him as much as we think it's important and it is important for this team to overhaul their pitching staff and figure out their rotation and bring in some bullpen help it's very important for them to figure out who their outfielders are. You need to eliminate this log jam of is Tyler O'Neill our guy? Is he not our guy? Is Dylan Carlson our guy? Is he not our guy? You need to pick two, pick three, move on to next season and stick with these guys rather than this, this 
this rotation of five guys trying to figure out who the best of the three are. You already know where Jordan Walker's there. Seems they're banking on Lars Newtbar. Figure out who your center fielder is and then move on from the rest and stop with this. Could he be somebody? We've got 30 seconds remaining here before we get you out to the fast lane. Guys, the Cardinals have Flaherty, Michaelis, and Montgomery starting the next three games against the Chicago Cubs before we get back on Monday. How many games do they win this weekend against Chicago? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with two of the three because I think you'll get a slip up at one point. If you sweep them, man, that's impressive. But I'm going to say two of the three you win with those guys. Yeah, I think I'm going to go two of three with those three guys going. I think they're going to win today with Jack and probably win with Monty, Michaelis kind of up in the air. I've got two out of three as well. I think the bullpen blows it tomorrow. Coming up next, you've got the fast lane. You guys have a fantastic weekend this weekend here in St. Louis. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Wilson Contreras, 10-game stretch. He's got an OPS of 1,200. What's that number say, T-Bone? His OPS? Yeah, what's his F war? Oh, jeez. It can't be good with that defense. What's his F U? You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.